season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. the jkr podcast today we have canes general manager dan gitson on the jkr podcast for the canes baseball series coach super glad super pumped to get you on the show how are you doing today doing pretty good man it's uh it's tuesday it's pretty nice outside we're gonna get outside for some baseball here today with our nine and ten year olds so can't complain but you know what they say if you did nobody really care yeah, I mean, it's perfect baseball weather. You know, college just started last week. I know here at IU, our first home game is here tonight. You know, about 40, 45-degree weather. So, you know, super pumped for that to get the baseball season uh, rolling. But before we dig into, you know, your coaching career, your time with the Canes and how the Canes have evolved, you know, these past, you know, 15, 20 years or so, um, I got one question I like to ask everybody that gets on the J. Care podcast, and that is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Dan Gitson? Oh, man, I mean, uh, you know, do you want the origin story or the cliff notes? I mean, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I say this at the, you know, I say this a lot, you know, there's, there's really nothing special about Dan Gitson. I think the the thing that makes what's great about our organization is that there's a lot of guys who, there was nothing really special about us, the guys that are running the Canes baseball program. And I think you could probably say that all of our origin stories were kind of the same. You know, we grew up loving the game. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I lived in Loudoun County, Virginia for 32 years of my life. Both my parents are transplants from Pennsylvania. I uh, didn't want to raise their kid in either Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, but that's where my, most of my family is, is in those two areas. Um, played every sport that I possibly could play, you know, in Loudoun County, Virginia, growing up in the local leagues. Um, you know, never really played travel baseball, but played with some of the best baseball players that came out of Northern Virginia. Um, and never was, you know, anything more than just, you know, an above average baseball player. Um, got a chance to play for some really good coaches. Uh, got a chance to play um, college baseball, uh, not only at Shepherd College in, in West Virginia, but also at West Virginia Wesleyan, both D2 universities and the WVIAC. Um, and, you know, all I wanted to do was be a, a baseball coach and a teacher. You know, I wanted to be a head baseball coach in high school. I wanted to follow in the paths of, of, you know, what were most of my mentors in life, which was, you know, a number one, my father, uh, who was probably the best baseball player in our family. Um, was a two-time Pennsylvania State Player of the Year, you know, had a full scholarship to Alabama before he decided to go to the Coast Guard and, and serve his country as opposed to going and, you know, serving his own ideals. Uh, and then, uh, you know, every one of my coaches that kind of played a pivotal role in my development growing up, um, you know, from the time, you know, I was five years old to the time I was, you know, 22 years old and the guys that still play a role today. So if I'd have to say Dan gets, and I, I just hope that people look back and say that he's the hardest working guy you've ever met in your life. And he cares the most about you. Um, because that's what I truly feel like I try to bring every single day is that my players and parents and, and the people that I work with know that, I'm going to work harder than everybody else, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to care about the people that I choose to put myself around uh, more than anybody else as well. 
So with that baseball background, with that athletic background, you know, you always said you were mo always motivated to be a coach, you know, after your playing career, you know, came to an end. When that motivation kind of get started for you, was that back in high school ball when you were a little kid? When did that motivation to become a coach kind of finally hit you? And then that transitional bit from your playing career to actually, you know, maybe starting that coaching career as well. So um, it's funny. I told this story the other day. Um, I was 14 years old. I was a young freshman in high school and I actually I loved playing football basketball and baseball you know playing golf in the summer you know I was always playing baseball two three seasons out of the year and um, my high school freshman basketball coach was also the varsity baseball coach at our school back in at Parkview High School in 1995-96 that's how old I am um, and I remember being at our sports assembly for basketball and uh, I'd been doing winter workouts and stuff like that with the varsity baseball team because they only had two catchers in the whole program. And I was a 14-year-old catching varsity guys and, you know, going to workouts and stuff like that that were optional uh, at that point in time. And I, I, I never really wanted to play basketball my freshman year. Uh, I just, you know, showed up like the day before and, and started playing, made the team, you know, and, um, you know, loved basketball because my coach was just this, you know, 60-year-old um, good old country boy named Mike Nunley. We called him the chief. And man, like that guy, I just, I loved that guy. He was no nonsense, black and white, told you how it was, asked the most out of you and expected more. And I was sitting at that, you know, little ceremony they give at the end of the year to all the kids, you know, that played, you know, and I went up with my mom to thank him, um, you know, for the season and stuff like that. And he pulled my mom aside and he said, you know, your son is the smartest player I've ever had, you know, in, in 30 years. And she goes, Oh, that's, that's great. You know, I'm, I'm glad you had really, you know, he was a really good freshman basketball case. No, no, no. He means, I said, he said varsity baseball to freshman. He said, the guy just knows the game and he's going to make a great coach one day. And that really hit home for me because that's a guy that had 30, you know, 40 years of experience in there that kind of recognized the fact that I put a lot of extra effort into the mental side of the game because I knew athletically I was not the fastest, not the strongest, not the biggest, not the best basketball player, didn't throw the hardest. You know, I had to really know the game in order to get myself to where I wanted to play at athletically. Um, and that just from there, I was like, I want to be a teacher and a coach. A lawyer, go to the side, teacher and a coach, you know, and, and, and that's all I focused on is I wanted to teach elementary or high school PE. And I wanted to coach high school baseball because that guy had such an impact on me. I was like, I want to do that with other people. That's what's going to be my stake. I'm never going to play professional baseball, play baseball. Uh, I, I doubt I was even at that point in time going to play division one baseball or even college baseball. I, I thought maybe I could do it, um, but I knew I could coach. I loved it. I loved the aspect of, of plays and work and off season work and just teaching the game and, and imprinting on other people. And I think it went really well with my personality because I was the oldest of three brothers and I'd always been coaching my younger brothers to do things, whether it was in football, basketball, baseball. Uh, I just I loved that aspect of, of, of peer teaching, you know, on top of that. And so at that point, I, I knew um, and, and, you know, it resonated with me. You know, I, I had some good high school coaches. You know, I got to play in the 1998 Babe Ruth World Series in Loudoun County. I had with, with Wayne Todd, who's probably the best high school baseball coach in Loudoun County history. Um, I learned an amazing amount from him, um, you know, still to this day, I think he's one of the best coaches I ever played for. And then 
when I had finally gotten to West Virginia Wesleyan from Shepard and Randy Tenney saved my baseball career um, by, you know, offering me a scholarship after I'd been cut my freshman year at Shepard. I mean, the things I learned from that guy, I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, um, outside of probably my father, that's probably the, the second father figure I have in my life is Randy Tenney at West Virginia Wesleyan, who just retired this year. Uh, the guy taught me how to treat people like human beings, not just baseball players and commodities, but just care every bit about your life. I mean, your day-to-day, what's going on in your school, you know, you know, are your girlfriend and you having problems, you know, you know, how are things going with your training? You know, what's, you know, what's going on at home with your parents? I mean, that guy, you know, if he asked me to do anything like to this day, I'd, I'd drop a hat and drive four and a half hours to, to Buckingham, West Virginia, and I, I'd do anything for the guy. And that's just really, that was a pivotal moment in my life where I knew that I was made, made to do this stuff and, and that I needed to dedicate the amount of time and effort that these guys did to, to my life, you know, if I was going to do this for kids. Mm-hmm. So your playing career comes to an end. What was that transition from, you know, being that ball player on that baseball field to becoming a coach? You know, that first job, I know you were a JV coach as your first job position there in the coaching world. Take us through that transition of, you know, being a ball player, so, you know, flipping that around to being a coach, what that transition was, maybe some hurdles that you had to, you know, overcome. What did that kind of look like as you started your career as a coach? Um, so, it, to be honest, it wasn't really tough making the transition from playing. I mean, I, I, I love to play. I, you know, I still mess. I was still kicking around playing adult league baseball, you know, my first couple of years out. I um, I actually spent a year finishing up my degree as, the, as an assistant coach at my college at West Virginia Wesleyan. So that really helped me because I got to spend time with Randy behind the scenes, practice planning and doing stuff like that. Um, you know, I actually then also was a freshman basketball coach under Jeff Hawes, who's, you know, one of the best basketball coaches in Virginia State history at Potomac Falls High School. I think he's won two or three state titles. And man, he he leveled me up on practice planning when it came to that. So when I got to be a JV coach under Sam Plank at Stonebridge High School back then, you know, I was really prepared, uh, especially on the practice practice planning and the game management set standpoint. Um, now, the one thing that I wasn't prepared for is that when you're 23 years old, how 15 and 16 year old kids perceive you. Um, so my demeanor at 23, 24 years old was not exactly as calm, cool, and collected as it is today at 41 years old. Um, and so that maybe was our, my toughest transition was saying that like, you have got to sometimes pull back and let players play that your practice and everything that happens happens during the week. And you've got to let these guys go. You can't control every single moment of every point of the day or every point of the game, or every point of the practice. You've got to let them fail. You've got to let them learn from their mistakes. So I would say if I had to talk about the transition point, it was kind of just me peeling back from being so stressed out and anxious about them being perfect, as opposed to you know them being guys that can grow as a baseball player as the year goes on. I was so obsessed with wins and losses. I'd lose sleep over losing a JV bas- baseball game you know, just lose sleep about it. But now you look back and say, did those kids get better? Cause it was a really, really good competition. And, you know, they, that was what they needed, you know, at that point in time was actually to play really, really well and not get what they wanted, which was a W at the end of the day. And I think that was the hardest part of the transition was really to gear that competitive nature of myself from like a 14 down to a nine and a half at the end of the day. 
So, you know, being a 23, 24-year-old as you're starting your coaching career, take us through that, what that journey was, you know, becoming, you know, an assistant at your college to a JV coach, and then you becoming an assistant varsity coach where, you know, Dole's Diamond Dogs got started, Mid-Atlantic Mets as well. Kind of take us through that journey to where, you know, how each step, you know, continuously evolved your coaching career. So i start on the high school side first and kind of gear it into that. Uh, so got, you know, right out of college, you know, got basketball coaching job, got the, you know, JV head coach job at Stonebridge High School. Um, I played for Sam Plank in high school. Uh, he was my assistant coach at Potomac Falls High School back in uh, 97 through 99. Um, so obviously I had a connection there, learned a lot from Sam in my one year there. Uh, actually, the way that the Diamond Dogs got started was when I was the JV head coach at um, Stonebridge. They had a fall program, and the fall program was geared around, you know, letting players play during the fall season that needed to get reps uh, in the NVTBL, the Northern Virginia Travel Baseball League. We would practice once on Wednesday, play a Saturday doubleheader for the kids that didn't have football, play a Sunday doubleheader for the kids that didn't have football. And, you know, I got enamored with like, Hey, you know, this is, this is a little bit extra. I'd like to kind of do this. Um, you know, and this was right. Um, this was right after I'd stopped coaching my first year. So I started doing that the fall of 2005, um, got done that whole fall. And a couple of people had approached me and said, you know, you really should do travel baseball. Um, you know, we've got some localized leagues here. You run really good practices. You've got a connection to all these young coaches that you either coached with or grew up with. You know, you should start a travel, you know, organization. So that winter, I decided that I was going to start the Dulles Diamond Dogs. And the Dulles Diamond Dogs brought 14, 15, and 16-year-old kids from around um, what we call the Dulles area, uh, brought them in, and we would practice, and we would play travel games. I'd run practices. We... Um, you know, we play local. Most of the time we play in the NBTBL. We go out to a couple of tournaments here and there. Um, but I try to get the best players that I could from about four high schools in the area. And we would kind of travel around semi-locally. Um, you know, maybe a tournament up in Pennsylvania or maybe one in Maryland or down in Richmond from time to time. Um, but that that evolved kind of that year. And I thought it was really successful. You know, the kids really liked it. The talent level was good. Our main goal was to get them to better for high school. The end of that summer, uh, Todd Fiegel, um, who pitched at UVA and was my assistant coach um, at the time on our 16-year-old team, you know, came to me and said, one of my really good friends or my high school coach is a guy um, named Ron Tugwell. And Ron Tugwell ran an organization called the Barnstormers at the time, and Ron was starting to get out. And he said, I want to introduce you to Ron, I said, because this showcase baseball thing is really blowing up. And I think you do a really, really good job at this because you work really hard. The kids enjoy it. You're willing to go out and motivate, you know, you're motivated to go out and, and play in these events and help these kids get to college, you know, that were like you. I said, great. So I went and I sat down with Ron Tugwell on a Thursday night in Springfield, Virginia. And Ron just opened up the playbook of how to do this. Um, for three hours, you know, I bought the guy dinner and he opened up the playbook of where to go, what to do, you know, who to go with, where to go to recruit players, you know, what you need to do as far as, you know, getting your kids out to college baseball programs. And the Mid-Atlantic Mets was born. Um, I, I went away from the Diamond Dogs because 
I didn't feel like localized with our kids in our area that we were going to be able to compete on a more regional scale. Um, the first thing that I did is I went up to a camp in Maryland called Southern Maryland Baseball Camp. I introduced myself to Jerry Wargo, who's a legend in Maryland, um, who, again, is one of those people that I'm incredibly blessed to have gotten to know because the second I walked in and shook Jerry's hand, he took me under his wing and introduced me to everybody that I needed to know, um, treated me like I had been there working his camp for 20 years um, and, 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 and never looked at me like I didn't play professional baseball or I didn't grow up in Maryland or I didn't grow up there and, and just looked at me as a guy that was young and motivated that wanted to help kids. And I mean, gosh, I don't know where I'd be without Jerry Wargo at this point. I recruited a bunch of players out of Maryland. I knew that my niche was going to be getting kids that didn't play summer baseball regularly. And so I recruited a lot of kids out of Maryland, along with the kids that I had that I thought could play high level baseball from my Diamond Dogs program. And off we went. In that first year, you know, we had one team with the Mid-Atlantic Mets. We got every single kid off the college at either the D3, D2. I think I had eight Division I baseball commits. Um, and it grew because all these kids that were playing fall baseball for the Mid-Atlantic Red Sox or the Maryland Oriolanders or the Carroll County Rangers or some of these more prominent fall teams wanted to play during the summer. They wanted to continue to play high-level baseball during the summer. And really the only teams to play for at the time during the summer were the Barnstormers, the Canes, the Dirtbags, and now me. Um, so I ran with the Mets the following year. I had three teams um, in our graduating class. We had 45 kids. We got 45 kids on to college. Um, and I had probably 25 Division One guys, including Brad Markey, who went on to pitch at Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech, ended up getting drafted by the Cubs, um, who was a big, big-time guy. I had a couple of underclassmen like Derek Justice, who went to UVA and then Mount Olive, K.J. Hockaday, who went to Maryland and bounced around a little bit, Bobby Roos, who pitched at Maryland for an, a, a period of time. And, and it just kind of grew from there. Um, and we did that for – we did that for another year and I met, you know, I grew a really strong relationship with a guy named Alan Haynes um, and started running his fall underclass program and eventually transitioned it into the Mid-Atlantic Red Sox for a year before, um, you know, Alan and I, you know, just kind of decided that, you know, I wanted to do a whole lot and we really kind of just wanted to stay in that niche at the time. And, um, That'll probably lead me kind of to, to the next part of it. Along the way, I just wanted to be a high school baseball coach. Um, after Stonebridge, I had gone over to Potomac Falls to coach with my high school baseball coach, Joe Tarango. Um, Joe, gosh, Joe kind of like just let me go. Um, again, I'm, I'm trying to figure out my personality as an assistant, but let me really do practice planning and stuff like that. Um, but I think the number one thing I learned from Joe is probably what I state to this day is, is just how to really temper, you know, what you're going to do. I mean, Joe, I remember him coaching me when I was 16, 17 years old and our difficulty, you know, headbutting with each other and how he got through me and my younger brother. I, I don't know. Um, but as he got going, I mean, the ability to just observe and see the things that kids need at points in time, you know, to take a step back and put those guys first as opposed to your, you know, 
how smart you are as a coach or whether you call the right pitch or, you know, whether you, you know, call a hit and run in the right situation, just to kind of step back and let players play and coaches coach and parents cheer, you know, was a really big deal. And I mean, that guy, um, you know, I still think to this day, he retired way too soon. Um, but that guy had a huge imprint on me and I probably left him way too soon because I thought that I was going to get this head coaching job at a private high school in Northern Virginia. I left him after two years. Um, I thought that the combination of me getting this job plus, uh, you know, me running this travel baseball program, it was just going to balloon. I was going to coach my guys all year long, recruit them to play for me. And I left Joe, um, after we had just had a great young class that was going to go compete for state titles, I left them. I went over. I thought this was my gig to get my head coaching job. And uh, in January of that year, the head coach walked in and said, hey, they're pulling all our funding at the private school. And basically in two years, this baseball program will not be what it was. And I just said, uh, my high school coaching career is over at this point. And I dove all the way into coaching the Mets and all the way into coaching the Red Sox after that. And, and you kind of did that until uh, 2009 when uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, Jeff and I came to a point where we made what I feel is, you know, the pivotal decision in my career, which was to join the Canes. So initially when you made that jump from high school baseball to travel baseball to start the Diamond Dogs, you know, before Ron kind of sat you down and kind of gave you the outlook on, you know, how to do these certain things within the travel baseball world. What were some of those biggest lessons that you kind of learned, you know, on the fly, getting that experience as you were kind of just getting into this travel baseball world? Well, I, I think the, the, the biggest lesson was learning to slow down a little bit. Um, I'm a hard charger by nature. If there's 24 hours in the day, I'll I'll sleep four and I'll work 20. If you get if you tell me that's what I need to do, um, but learning to slow down because when you try to take on way too much, you don't do the things you need to do really really well. Um, you know how to multitask. You know I'll, I'll you know when I got going with the Diamond Dogs, I was trying to run every practice and go to every tournament and do everything, and it just was too much. You know, and then when I got to the Mets. You know, I got in there and I was trying to coach and trying to talk to community college coaches and I, it was too much. So I stepped back and I let my coaches coach because I realized the most important time, thing at that point in time for me was to establish relationships with college baseball coaches and the parents who were paying money for these kids to play because they were paying money so you could help them go play baseball at a level. So I let my coaches coach. I didn't imprint like who I wanted in the lineup where or you know, who had to play shortstop or who hit where, or, you know, I want to hit and run here, you know, even down to not even throwing BP, you know, if you wanted to, which I love throwing BP. Um, and you just let them coach, you know, and what it did was it gave my coaches a sense of purpose, you know, that every single day they had control of what was going on and that I was going to take care of the things that they didn't have to take care of. I was going to take care of the hard conversations with the parents and I was going to take care of the you know, the talking with the college coaches for hours. And I was going to take care of all the rosters and the insurance and all that stuff. And while I missed, you know, the being in the third base box and doing that part of it, you know, I still went to every single game. I still knew everything about every player. I still took every opportunity to talk to them about the things that they needed to improve on, even if I wasn't the guy that the attention was on, you know, at that point in the time, because I was going to be the one calling the hit and run or the bunt or holding the trophy up at the end of the, the tournament if we won. 
Um, it was more about, you know, taking a role and slowing down for me so I could become really, really good at the things that were really, really important to our clients, which were the players and the parents. So in 09, you know, a couple of years after you've been in the travel baseball world here for a little bit, you said you, you kind of have a sit down conversation with Jeff, you make that pivotal decision within your coaching career. How does it come to that point? You know, how do you initially get connected with Jeff? Maybe what were some, what were some conversations before you make this pivotal career choice? Where did you kind of get connected with Jeff and the, and the Canes? So Jeff and I actually connected my first year with the Mets, you know, out of that conversation with Ron Tugwell, Ron said, Hey, here's this guy out of Fredericksburg and he's young like you. And he's doing the same thing. He's got like a year on you so far um, with the Canes baseball program. He runs tournaments. Um, he's got really good players, really good teams. You guys are going to probably be doing this for a good amount of time. If you guys do a really, really good job, you should get to know him because you need to have people that you enjoy being around. And so I, I reached out to Jeff about playing a scrimmage our first weekend just to get our players' legs underneath them. And plus, I had a lot of kids that had played for my Diamond Dogs organization that were going to play for Jeff or guys that I coached, you know, guys like Andrew Tessier or Chad Morgan, uh, Rob Malin, who I grew up, like Rob grew up behind me, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, Johnny Bladell. And I was like, when, when they wanted to go play for Jeff, I was like, go, like, if that's the best situation for you guys right now go I, i'm i'm new at this like you guys have a chance to play division one baseball and if he can get you to that level go and so i reached out to jeff and i said let's let's scrimmage i, I just i want to get out there i want to play i want to call some college coaches i want to get these kids out in front of some people before we go around this circuit all summer long and he said great let's go do it and we were going to play at the university of richmond but because richmond was still playing um in the ncaa tournament at the time we moved up to um, we moved up to Potomac High School and played at Potomac High School in a doubleheader. And, you know, I, I got really excited. This was my first impression of Jeff. I got really excited because I had called like, you know, 15, 20 coaches and like 10 of them were like, yeah, we're coming. And it's like William and Mary and George Mason. And like, you know, so, you know, some of these D1 schools, I was like, I think my guys can play at, and, you know, some D2s and, and like Shenandoah. And I'm like, yeah, man, I called like, you know, I got like seven to 10 guys that are coming. He's like, I've got the entire ACC and SCC coming to watch my guys. And I was like, wow. I was like, all right, I see where we're at. And we went, we played and, and, you know, I won't leave the results, but it was great. It was awesome. There was 50 college coaches at this thing. I mean, Chad Holt, when he was the recruiting coordinator of South Carolina was at this thing. Scott Forbes was at this thing. I mean, everybody was at this thing. And I was like, wow, this is what travel baseball is going to be like. I am in hundred and. 50% I'm in because this is exactly what you want to do. And so Jeff and I, you know, I played in some of his tournaments. I also played in some of Andy Parton's tournaments down with impact. I didn't do anything really, really big like WWBA because I just didn't feel like it was necessary for our guys, but I would run into Jeff, you know, while we're playing in these tournaments over and over, we, you know, we're 25 years old. Um, so we would see each other, you know, on Saturday night after games and, you know, get a drink and hang out, shoot the stuff. And we're never really, really friends. You know, we were competitors at that point in time. So, you know, we would go a, a, a period of six weeks where he'd send me a kid because he was full on his roster. And, and I'd say, hey, here's this kid. And he's, you know, he's, you know, he's really good. And we're not going to WWBA. You know, do you want to have this guy? Um, and then we'd play and then we'd fight. And then we'd, you know, say some things that we probably shouldn't say to each other. 
But then, you know, a week later, we'd be fine. He'd be like, hey, you come to this tournament. What, what teams do you want to play? You guys are really good. You know, it's going to be really helpful for our guys to be on the same field together. And that happened for a couple of years. Um, and, and we started doing more and more together um, because of the level of players I was putting on the field that last year with the Red Sox, you know, I'd have 25 guys and all of them would be D1 guys. You know, they'd all be going somewhere. Um, and he said, you know, we were down at an event called the South Atlantic Border Battle in Burlington, North Carolina. Uh, and I was kind of at a transition point in my life where, you know, the, my organization was starting to take a toll on me from a work standpoint. You know, I'm working as a teacher, I'm giving lessons, you know, my organization is growing, you know, you've done this for four or five years, you really love what you're doing. Um, but you start to wonder whether or not you want to be the guy that has all the responsibility at the end of the day. You know, some of my coaches are no longer coaching anymore. So you're constantly looking for coaches. And Jeff kind of approached me and said, I'm going to, I'm going to expand into Maryland, Delaware, and Pennsylvania. And you do really well in Maryland. I really don't want to compete against you. What do you think about bringing yourself and your younger groups of guys over? We're going to have a guy named Jamie Evans and Bill Cropper who are going to oversee the, the Del Marva or part of the organization but I'd like you to be the 17 year old coach so that our 17 year old division has a really good stake. And I said, give me a, give me a couple of weeks, you know, and finally over Thanksgiving break, um, I called him up and I said, man, I'm in. He's like, I, I, I was like, I don't need anything except for this. I was like, I really just want to go out and help these kids and travel around during the summer. I'm not looking for much else. Um, I had started umpiring and I was doing really well in that at the time. So I was going to probably look into that track of, of being a, a pro umpire at one point in time. And I wanted to just stay around the game and coach kids for as long as I could. And so I brought the guys over. Um, we were going to be the fourth team, you know, so if you ranked them North, South, because there's no national team at the time, it's, it's, green and orange, north, south. Then we had the mid-Atlantic group with Mark Helsu, who ran U.S. Elite for all those years. And then he just figured I would be the fourth-tier team. And I brought over a group of kids that included guys like Jamie Jarman, who was a second-round pick, uh, Lamont Wade, who's in the big leagues with uh, the uh, Giants right now, um, and 23 other Division One baseball players when it was all said and done. And I think at that point in time, I think – my role kind of changed a little bit because now I was on the inside and people were seeing how hard I worked on an everyday basis to help these kids, uh, not only with the recruiting process, but just anytime something came up and there was an event or something, I was like, Hey man, I'm in, you know, whatever help you need, you know, I'm there. If you need me to throw BP, I'll throw BP. If you need me to recruit guys to go do this, I'll go do that. Um, and so, you know, 2009 was a pivotal point because I think Jeff and I's relationship saw that, you know, we were so competitive and so alike in that aspect, but did certain things really, really well on different sides of our lane that, you know, it, it, it could become something, I think, really, really good if we wanted it to be, um, which I believe we both did. Um, uh, but at that time, I was I was just a coach, you know, nothing more than just coaching my 17-year-old Delmarva team. So in between those couple of weeks, you know, when Jeff, you know, kind of brings up the idea to you, hey, come on board, let's, you know, let's, let's become a team, you know, become, become part of my team. You know, what were some of those key factors that you like kind of looked into in terms of, do I maybe stay with my organization, keep doing what I'm doing, or do I join that Canes organization? Like, what were some of those key factors? And then when was it that, you know, it just kind of just 
hit you like, okay, you know what? I'm going to join the Canes baseball, be one of his coaches. I think the biggest key factor for me was just my health uh, more than anything. Um, I, I, anybody who knows me will say this and it's actually kind of a running gag, but um, you know, uh, personally, like I, I, my physical health was not really good because I was doing way too many things and I really wanted to get control of my physical health. Um, I think I weighed 275 pounds at the time. Um, when Jeff asked me to come over, now I'm in a lot better shape, <laughs> um, and both, you know, mentally and physically, you know, I, I just, I think the biggest factor was the fact that I saw how much Jeff cared and it resonated with me because I cared so much. And I just wanted to be around like-minded people, not that other people that I'd worked with or that I, you know, I didn't care enough to run my own thing, but I needed to stay, take a step back before I went forward. Um, and it was good because I remembered back to when I was an assistant coach and how great I was as an assistant coach. Um, like I just loved being an assistant coach. I loved being that guy that like, kids went to on the side and asked them about things and can we go hit for another hour after practice and yeah because I was young and stuff like that so I, it just gave me an opportunity to delve into like all these extra things that people wanted to and it was going to be a chance where I didn't have to do the paperwork and I didn't have to collect money and I didn't have to stress about what tournaments were getting in, entered into and the insurance and the uniforms and stuff like that and for me right there at that point to be able to take a step back and, and focus on like, hey, I can do this really, really well, but I want to be around for 50 years to do this really, really well. That was a big point. And I think that was the biggest point. It wasn't about money. I mean, I, I'll be the first to say, you know, in that first year, I, I made basically nothing, you know, do it. You know, you got meal money, you got hotel money, you know, you got a little bit of a check at the end of the year, um, you know, to go coach eight tournaments, be away every weekend, and um, then another four in the fall, you know, and then if you had extra time to do extra events, I mean, you grinded it out. So for me, it was just about being around like-minded people who just loved it and, and wanted to be in it and wanted to work really hard and that the opportunity just didn't stop, you know, on the weekends. It, it could be during the middle of the week or it could be in other places, but to not have to worry about the administration stuff, which I thought I did well, um, but um, does not have to do that was a huge point, you know, to transition. That was, that was what made my decision. So initially starting out as, you know, one of those 17 new coaches for Jeff, for the Canes baseball program, how does that job evolve into, you know, your job as a director of recruiting for Canes baseball, take us through the evolution, you know, how long that took and what exactly that looked like. So, yeah. Um, so after that first year, there was kind of a couple of pivotal points that led me to that, you know, so we finished up that first year, finish up that fall, I get a call from Jamie Evans, who was running the Delmarva program. And Jamie says, hey, you know, we, we got approached by this baseball company to get sponsored by them. And, um, you know, it was Evo Shield at the time. You know, we were going to change to the Evo Shield Canes. Um, and they want to run a national team. And since we have four regions right now and the mid Atlantic kind of already covers Maryland, Pennsylvania and stuff like that. And the North kind of pulls into Maryland a little bit. We're going to, we're probably going to shut down the Delmarva division. And so right at that point in time, I'm just like, wow, a year in and I'm gone, you know, there's nothing for me. But then he paused and he said, but you know, Jeff, you know, wanted me to call you out and, and 
see whether or not you would want to accept a position where you really helped kids get on to college, you know, because he saw how well you did with your guys group and that, you know, you even like try to help some kids in some of the other programs, you know, get on to college, you know, because of your connections with schools that we don't really have connections with, um, you know, uh, and I could tell a story about that, but I'll leave that for another time. But um, I was like, what does it entail? And he said, well, you know, you're going to go around from weekend to weekend. You're going to see the players. You're going to help them with the recruiting process, um, you know, and, you know, yeah, that's that's kind of it. And I was like, OK. He said, well, there's one catch. So we really don't have a budget for this. So, you know, if you kind of come in and do it, we don't know if we can pay you to do so. And I was like, OK, just I've got one caveat if we are going to do that. Now that we're putting a national brand on the field, not only do I want to help kids get to college because I think it'll bring more notoriety and attention, but I want you guys to put me out there and let me go to some of these big events and try to get kids from other areas. Um, because I noticed the landscape was that some of these teams, whether they're from Louisiana or East Cobb and Georgia or the guys in Florida, they always had kids from other areas coming to play for them. And I was like, man, I want to be really, really good in Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina. But I also want to go get that kid from Oklahoma that maybe wants to play for us or the kid from California that wants to play for us. Because maybe he doesn't want to go to UCLA or Oklahoma. Maybe he just goes to South Carolina. And if that can kind of put us over the top, put me on the road. Give me meal money. Put me in a hotel. You know, just make sure that I don't end up, you know, going into debt over it. And, and I'll do it. And that was it. Uh, that was the deal. You know, I started reaching out to all the kids on our program, started talking to them about where they wanted to school, wanted to go to school, um, you know, what they wanted to do, you know, what their grades were like, you know, where could they fit? Would they consider going to a school like this? And then I started, you know, we started booking flights for me to go to the PG Junior National, uh, the PG National, um, uh, the, you know, East Coast Pro area code game stuff and really look into these high tier players that we could potentially get into our program. And, um, you know, along the way, I, I was really lucky because when we were still doing Delmarva, um, we had a group that had come in um, that was going to be a 15 year old team that year. Uh, that was one of the best baseball teams in the country at the time out of Maryland. It had guys like Danny Blair played at South Carolina Cody Morris, who played South Carolina and just, you know, just broke with the Guardians this year. Uh, J.B. Bukowskis, who, you know, was with the, with the Astros, I think it's with the Diamondbacks now, um, which is, was a really good group. And, and we had brought them in um, as well as, you know, we brought in guys like Troy Stokes into our Del Delmarva program. We played with the Pirates. And so it was just a really good time because we had brought in that level of player already, you know, in years past. I mean, Jeff had won two national championships before I even walked in the door, but it was now like, okay, their kids now starting from kind of all over, not necessarily going to the school that they wanted to go, you know, that was right down the road. Let's, let's start working on the kids that are already going to these events and then introducing ourselves to players that are at those events um, through our guys. And so because I had those young bucks that were coming up that I had a really good relationships with, you know, you realize that the greatest recruiting coordinators in the country are the kids that play for you. And so I don't know how many times J.B. Bukowskis was like, hey, I talked to this kid. He wants to play for us. Or Troy Stokes was like, hey, I talked to so-and-so. He wants to play for us. 
And so I was taking meetings with kids as they're walking up the steps at the Metrodome at PG Junior National and National. And that led us to guys like Braden Webb, you know, who came from Oklahoma and, and pitched for us, you know, for two years. Um, you know, led us on to guys like Ash Russell and Bo Burrows, you know, guys that we met at area code games, uh, Grant Hawken, um, you know, uh, Mike Nicorax of the world, you know, just kids that, I mean, if you looked at it, were they supposed to play for us because of where they lived? Absolutely not. But because of what we were doing, not only with the brand at that point in time, plus our ability to, you know, want to say, hey, look, we're going to put a really, really good team on the year on the field every single year. Um, we're going to have the best players in the country and we want to go out and win because if we go out and win, we're going to play more games than everybody else. And you're going to develop and hopefully turn into a big leaguer one day. And I think that was really where it started from was just, um, you know, me taking a shot on, you know, just doing this cause I loved it. And Jeff believing in me to be able to do it and giving me the ability to go out and have a little bit of a leash to recruit kids and, you know, I think after that, the, you know, the, the fortitude was, is that the following year, we won the 16 year old WWBA, our 17 year olds won the world series. We won Jupiter that first year. Um, and obviously that, you know, I don't feel like that has anything with to do with me, you know, recruiting the kids, but I do think that as we got going, you know, people saw it as a place to come across the country and, not only play with really good players, but get coached, you know, on top of that and develop and be put on a platform where they're going to play in front of, you know, not only all the coaches that they want to play in front of, but also major league scouts every single game. So. So beyond some of the players that were, re that were referred to the Canes, you know, through some of your other players, maybe what was that recruiting pitch that if let's say you go up to some kid, you know, during PG national, PG junior national, be like, Hey, you want to come play for the Canes? I'm Dan Gitson. So-and-so this and that. What did that recruiting pitch kind of look like to maybe some guys that weren't referred to the Canes baseball program from a guy like JB or some of those other guys you guys had already in the program? So I'll use Braden Webb as a great example. Um, Braden's from Oklahoma, uh, Owasu. Um, and I watched kid after kid after kid go out there. And, you know, PG events at that time, you've got coaches there, you've got advisors there, you've got, you know, pro scouts there. Everybody and their mother wants to talk to the top 100 kids in the country. And I knew that me walking in and kind of doing this at the time when we weren't the biggest player um, was we were going to have to hit on kids that we actually watched and knew that they threw strikes or they could hit or they could play the game of baseball and an asset that was going to help our team oriented approach to what we were going to do. Cause we were going to ask kids to play the game of baseball in a team environment. And I remember with Braden, he walked up the steps and that, after watching him sink, you know, sink the ball. And, you know, I mean, the, gosh, I mean, he had the heaviest fastball I had seen at that point in time. And I watched him just dice up, some of the best hitters in the country, like eight out of nine strikeouts in that event. And nobody went to go talk to Braden, not an advisor, not a, not a travel team. Nobody went to go talk to Braden. I pulled Braden aside. I said, man, you're the best pitcher at this event. I said, I just watched you face nine of the best hitters in this country by PG. You know, you were put on a team because you're out of Oklahoma and you guys are all from the same area and they just served you up to somebody and you just shoved. I was like, you got to come play for us. And he's like, well, he's like, where are you guys out of? I said, well, we're out of South Carolina. He goes, man, I want to play for the University of South Carolina. I was like, I'll have you talk to Chad Holbrook tomorrow. 
And literally, like we had we we had him on the phone with Chad Holbrook. He went pitched for us at WWBA, and I mean, he went to South Carolina right out of high school. Um, we you know, and I spent man, if it was a seven day week, I was on the phone with his dad Galen four out of those seven days for two hours a day. <laughs> um, and Galen's a great guy, but he you know he he likes to talk, and and I love him for it because we ended up getting Braden out of it. Um, but we really, I really focused on finding guys that would be able to be elevated in our program, not necessarily going to find a kid that was, you know, the top ranked player in the country and then telling them how great it would be if he came and played with us. We tried to look at it as a partnership, you know, to where we took some guys that we thought were going to be really darn good and they just needed the platform to do it. So we really pushed the platform as, you know, we're going to play the best of the best. We're going to get everybody's best, you know, lineup. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get to see everybody's best pitcher because we still had that push of, of, you know, our, you know, 16 year old team won a national championship and our, 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 our you know, our, our 17 year old. And I think brain was a year before that he was on the 17 year old world series team and Jupiter teams that won Jupiter that year. Um, but we just really pushed it as like, I don't care what your ranking is. I don't care what, you know, school you're going to or stuff like that. We'll help you find the one that you want to go to we think you're really good at playing baseball and we want to elevate you and get you better so that everybody else knows how good you are at playing baseball. And I think that was it. You know, when people figured out that it wasn't about um, us just collecting kids to wear t-shirts and get front toss and rather us trying to really work with kids and elevate them from where they were, what they knew and their frustrations to where we think they could be. I think people were all in at that point in time because it showed a care and a dedication rather than just, following the pack and just recruiting kids because somebody else said they were really good. Yeah. So that's, so that's one side of your job going out, you know, traveling the country, going and picking up some extra guys for that Canes national, like the Evo shield, Evo shield Canes at that time, picking up uh, players for that roster on that other side of things, when it came to, you know, getting players to that next level, what did your job duties kind of come with that in terms of, you know, how did you go about, you know, talking to a player and realizing what schools he wanted to go to, contacting some of those coaches? What exactly does that process look like and what exactly do those job duties look like as a director of recruiting from that side of things? Well, I would just literally sit down and email every single family of kids that were uncommitted and ask them if they wanted to sit down and have an hour long conversation about where their kid wanted to go to school, you know, what their evaluation was at that point in time. Um, what their grades were like. And I would get on the phone with, at that point in time, you know, you only had, I only focused really on the upperclassmen, you know, the guys that were in their last year before they needed to make a decision. And I would sit down with everybody that wanted one on the phone and we'd go through their list of schools, their GPAs, you know, where they wanted to go to school, what majors they wanted to do. And we would go out and we'd do that. And then from there, um, I'd have them put together a video and I'd start reaching out to schools. I would spend my Monday and Tuesday probably on the phone reaching out to college coaches for 20 hours out of the Mondays and Tuesdays. I mean, I would and I wouldn't say it was pestering people, but I would say I would definitely advocate for our guys. It's funny because, you know, it got to a point where, you know, I'd gotten to a routine and, and actually Clint Chrysler, who's the uh, the pitching coach at NC State, and he was at Winthrop at the time. I pick up the phone. He goes, "Do you got a guy?" And I'd say, "I got a guy. I got a guy, Clint. You know, I got a guy for Winthrop. You know, here's a guy. He's 
He's 88 to 90, you know, six foot four. He's got a lot of downhill on his fastball, pretty good breaking ball. Like to see him throw it harder. You know, here's where our schedule is, you know, can we have a conversation with the kid, you know, when it, you know, when it comes out and then, you know, maybe you come out to see him. And I would really spend time on those Mondays and Tuesdays, figuring out where these schools were going to be going, setting pitching, you know, getting with our coaches to set pitching rotations, getting them out to all the college coaches, following up after the weekend was over, just seeing what they saw, what they liked, what they didn't like. I mean, I spent a lot of time asking questions, you know, of these college coaches, because the, the worst thing you can do is tell them like, this guy can play at your school. No, no, I don't know that. You know, they know that. They're the ones whose jobs are on the line when it comes to recruiting a kid. And if he comes to school and he busts and then they lose games because they don't have that Sunday starter that you told them could pitch on Sundays as a freshman in college, like that's, that's, that's their job. That's not my job. Their job is hard enough already for me, some guy that never coached at the division one, you know, level or the NC, you know, the JUCO level or you know, one year as a volunteer assistant at the division two level or the division three level. Those guys, they, they know what they're doing. You ask questions. What do your needs are? You know, um, what do you look for in this kid? And then you try to be able to present them with guys that they can make an opinion on. And when they tell you no, it becomes your responsibility to tell those kids, hey, we got to look somewhere else. It's not because I don't like you as a kid or because you don't work hard. It's just because they don't feel like you're going to be successful within their system. And if you're not going to be successful within their system, you're going to be looking for another school after that. And they you know, are going to recruit over you. So we spend a lot of time just being very real with our parents and players. And understanding that, like, it doesn't have to be the University of Virginia or Virginia Tech or South Carolina or Clemson or North Carolina or NC State or ECU, you know, or any of the big powerhouses, Wake Forest, you know, Duke, that were in our area. But finding a place where they can have baseball as part of their life, you know, because if you can't get on the field, you can't play it after college. And if you can't stand sitting on the bench, why do you want to go somewhere to be a part of somebody else's baseball career? You know, even if it ends after college. Let's take it and let's take the, the, let's take the relationships that you've made along the way and see how it's going to take into the rest of your life. And I think that's when it changed. You know, that's when our numbers went from, you know, 50 to 60 guys to up to 80 to 90 guys. And then as the program expanded, obviously, you know, over hundreds of guys that were committing in every grad class every single year. And that was just in our little home organization, you know, out of Virginia, Maryland, uh, North Carolina, and, and uh, South Carolina, Pennsylvania. So you, so you said at that point, you know, 09, 2010, when you become, you know, that director of recruiting, you were kind of focusing on some of the upper class guys in terms of getting them recruiting guys who are one year away from, you know, making that collegiate decision. Now, you know, 13, 14 years later, I mean, we're, we're seeing guys who are eighth graders, you know, committing to different schools. How has that college recruiting landscape kind of changed these past 13, 14 years since you kind of got started in it? Um, through your eyes, like what have you seen? How has that college landscape, you know, just slowly changed to where we're at now? I, eh, I don't love the fact that seventh and eighth graders are committing to schools. I've told my players that I've told their parents that I've been vocal about that. I don't love it, you know, but I've got a nine-year-old in my house. He goes to every single UVA baseball game that he can get to because I live in Charlottesville. You know, he has gone to every camp and knows the coaches there since he was two years old. And if he was in eighth grade and Brian O'Connor walked up to him and said, you know, I want to give you, 
you know, so much odd money to come to school here. We love you. You've been a Cavalier your whole life. How am I supposed to tell him not to if it's his dream school? I think that the evolution just kind of started as all these teams started having national teams at the younger age groups. And we were one of the, you know, last to the trough, so to speak, when we started doing that um, about five years ago. And, you know, you started to see kids, it was a little bit, you know, now they're committing in their sophomore years after their sophomore summers, you know, now they're committing after their freshman summers. And it kind of just started evolving because these programs um, that were, you know, the ACC, SEC, just decided that la- rather than than lose out, I think, on these kids, they, they could make an evaluation because the player was getting better at those age groups. You were seeing kids throwing above 90 at that age group. So you were able to project, you know, three years ahead what this kid was going to be. And the competition level was getting better. You know, so they knew that this kid wasn't going to go hide for three years and just play in his local league. He was going to be out on the circuit facing the best of the best. You know, he's going to play for programs like ours or, or, or some of these other big power programs that were out there. And everybody was going to be throwing their best pitcher at him or putting their best lineup on the field. They were going to be playing 30, 40 games a summer. And so they put a lot of trust in us as travel coaches in the development side of it, you know, so that when they committed a kid – to the university of a that was in the sec or the acc and he's a fresh you know going into a sophomore year of high school like that kid was going to be at that time on your national team um he was going to get every opportunity to develop and i think it just continued to trickle down um as we started doing this younger and younger um you know and obviously kids get ranked younger and younger there's more video out on them younger and younger and coaches look at it as well if this kid wants to come here and I feel like he's evaluated at this percentage to go there. Why wouldn't I offer him now? You know, why wouldn't I get him committed to me for four years, five years almost to where now he has the responsibility of being prepared when he gets there, you know, not wondering what it's like to be there because when that kid commits to let's say Virginia, since it's right down the road, when he commits to Virginia as an eighth grader going in ninth grade, He's going to UVA baseball games a lot. He's seeing the level that those guys play at. He's communicating with his college coach, figuring out what he needs to do to get better. You know, he's having those conversations. So now those guys become part of their development process, kind of, you know, maybe not necessarily developing them on their everyday swing or stuff like that, but pushing this kid to realize how hard it is to play at that level. And I think from that perspective, it's, it's great. Um, I think the only thing that's tough about where it is is that I do believe that at the end of it, you really lose an opportunity to educate parents and players um, on the recruiting process. Um, and it's not the same for everybody. Obviously, with these kids that are committing as seventh and eighth graders, they're the best of the best. You know, They're the best of the best players in the country. So they're going to have their choice of where they want to go to. But it's educating them on you know, how hard it is to play college baseball, you know, how hard it's going to be to go 12 hours away from home, how hard it's going to be to crack the lineup when you're a freshman, you know, what the academic requirement is, what the physical components are that you need to be able to do before you walk in there. Hey, are you going to mesh with your personality style now as an eighth grader, as opposed to you when you're an 11th or 12th grader, you know, and those are the biggest things that you have to sit people down um, and talk about. And obviously, we've got a really good track record of when kids end up at the schools that they're at. They play, they're successful and stuff like that. 
But I, I do also look at it from, it becomes our responsibility, which is what drove me to drop down and coach 14 year olds to sit people down and say, look, if you want to slow down and you want to be really, really educated about this, take your time because those offers aren't going to go away if you play for us, because it becomes my responsibility to continue to keep you having the opportunity to play high level college baseball. And it comes, becomes your son's responsibility to just be the absolute best baseball player that he can be. All right. And if he is, he was, you know, guys like Ryan Clifford who didn't commit to Vanderbilt until his junior year and obviously got drafted and he's in the, in the Astros organization, guys like Jackson Ferris, you know, guys like that, you know, they, they didn't make commitments until their junior year of, of, of high school to where they were going to go. Um, you know, so why not slow it down and find out where you're at? And if the place where you go when you're in eighth grade is the place where you're at, make the dedication and the commitment to be good enough to play when you get there. So in a day and age where the, the college recruiting process, you know, has become early and earlier, like we've talked about, we're in a day and age where the advisor selection process for, you know, some of these guys, like you mentioned, Jackson Ferris, mentioned a couple of guys who've been drafted on your guys' program, um, where advisors are reaching out to some of these guys when they're freshmen, sophomores in high school, just, you know, build that relationship. Have you played any role in terms of maybe connecting an advisor with a ball player or advisors reaching out to you? What, is there any role when it comes to that at all? Or for the most part, is that kind of stuck with, you know, maybe somebody else in the program or with the family? Um, so the advisory process is a lot of the family, you know, obviously we have, you know, agencies that we have good relationships with, but we try to have good relationships with all the agencies, you know, at the end of the day, you got to have somebody that's going to work for you and is the right fit for you as a family. Um, do I have agencies that, you know, I enjoy better than other ones. Well, that just comes down to the frequency of our relationship and 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 how it goes for our players. Um, but I I don't really get involved in it. Uh, I really don't tell kids you shouldn't go with this person. You should go with that person. Um, if they ask questions, I give feedback based on experiences that we've had in the past. Um, obviously, Jeff has a huge role, you know, in that side of it because every kid that comes to him when he's 17 years old, or at least 90% of them already have advisors by that point in time. Um, I rarely have a 14 or 15 year old have an advisor, but if I do, I do play a big role in it just because it's a long time, you know, and, and the number one thing that, you know, these guys, you're not tied to them, you know, as you go through your high school career, you know, not until you sign a pro contract and you have to pay that guy money. So you'd rather not pick an advisor at 14 years old or 15 years old after you commit to LSU or, you know, Virginia or, or UNC and then have to fire him when he's 17 years old because you just don't feel like you made the right decision and your draft stock isn't where it is. So I asked them to slow down a lot on that um, because I think the, uh, even the agencies, I think on the, that side of it would love to not have to really put a lot of time and effort into a 14, 15 year old kid as much as a 17, 18 year old kid. Um, but, you know, uh, as far as the agency side of it, you know, we just we really try to have a really good relationship with everybody. Yeah. And I mean, you're right when it comes to, you know, agents. So I'm trying to be an, an agent once I graduate from college. So, you know, I, I work for a couple of different, I've worked for a couple of different agencies in the past, you know, have a couple of internships lined up. And as just talking to some of these guys, I mean, they'll ask me in terms of some guys that I'm coming on the podcast. Oh, what do you think about this guy's personality? You know, when they're, you know, a 2024 or whatever, they're like, yeah, we hate, you know, asking about a guy like that. But, you know, in reality, all these other agencies are going after the same guy as well. So, you know, to stay in the pack, 
same way as the college recruiting landscape kind of, you know, came about, you know, to stay, to stay competitive and stay involved, you, you know, kind of have to kind of have to at that point. Uh, but no, as we talk about evolution, let's dig into, you know, your career a little bit, and then we'll dig into the evolution of the Canes baseball program. So for you at first, you know, being a 17 year old, 17 U head coach, going to director of recruiting to now where your general manager, you know, after being that director of recruiting, how did that evolve into your job now as general manager of the Canes baseball program? So we were, we had had a really good 15 year old group coming through um, back in 2013. We actually were so good that we had two teams that were really, really good. Um, on one side of it was, you know, Tyler Solomons of the world and Buddy Kennedy, who broke with the Diamondbacks this year, a kid named Jeremy Rochos and Dodgers and Angels organization. I mean, we had some really good baseball players. And on the other side of it, I was coaching. I, I Every fall, I would coach at this point in time with with a 15-year-old coach. And um, we had a, um, you know, we had a group with uh, got, you know, Noah Campbell and, and Ashton McGee, Seth Cadell, who played at ECU, Jordan Adele, who's in the Angels, you know, up with the Angels, and uh, Tanner Morris, who played at UVA and, and got drafted as well. But we had two really good teams. And we were at a point where we needed to sit down and pick which kids were going to be on the national team the following year at 16 years old, because at that point in time, we didn't have a national team until 16. All right. And we're coming off a year where, you know, like we've got Bo Burrows and we've got, um, you know, Ash Russell. We won Jupiter again that year, you know, for the second straight year. And we were sitting in a house in Fort Myers, Florida, and we were just arguing. Jeff was arguing with his brother, Mike, who was a coach of the team. And, and John Batchelor, who was a coach of the team, was arguing about it. Greg Connor, we're, we're all in a room arguing for kids on a board. And it got kind of a frustration point. And I hadn't said very much um, at that point in time because I had you know, recruited a lot of these guys. I walked up and I said, these are the guys that need to play on that team. I've watched them all. These are the guys that are going to be able to play. This kid's really good, but he's not going to be able to play at that level. Um, you know, he's going to struggle. And I put the pen down. And I walked away and I walked into um, Fort Myers airport flying home because I had to teach on Monday, um, you know, after we were done or Tuesday after we were done and we were sitting in the, we're sitting in this little lobby area in there. And Jamie Evans was still with the program at the time, John Batchelor and Jeff Petty we were sitting there and um, you know, Jeff was just, it was starting to become a lot with his tournaments and stuff like that. And he's like, Jeff, you know, we keep trying to, you know, you keep, you know, you have too many opinions in the room. You need to get somebody who's not afraid to make the hard decisions and put these things together, who knows all the players, knows all the coaches, and will run the organization on all of that aspect of it. And you focus on running the 17-year-old team and, and all the budgets and stuff like that that you need to do. And guys, that this was John and Jamie, you know, just kind of going back and forth. And he's like, well, who's going to do that job? And Jamie Evans and John Baxter turned and pointed right at me. And I kind of was like, really? Okay, I'll do it. And Jeff was like, well, are you willing to do that? That means more work. And I was like, I'll do it. And so I went on as a general manager that year. My only ask is that I had total autonomy over the rosters that were going to be done because I was the one that was going to have to have all these conversations with people. Um, that the 17-year-old one was the 17-year-old one, that he continued to have an you know impact on who played on those teams. But I would be able to give him most of the roster on the way up to that. And I took over, you know, doing that you know we we from the kids that played on the regional teams all the way to the national level kids um, because we did not have an American program at that time and it's kind of off from there um, and 
you know, most of my responsibilities in the first year uh, were basically on roster construction and helping kids get to places. Um, but then as more and more went on, you know, you sign up for tournaments, you know, then you take over the budget, then you take over, you know, the uniform ordering process, then you continue to do these things. And all of them came very incrementally, you know, as Jeff and I built more relationships of trust, because you're now trusting somebody based on their work ethic to run the organization. That's your baby. Like you, this is your thing. Like you loved it. And, you know, it, it, it got to the point where then, you know, after that first year, uh, I was doing fields for his tournament company and doing all this. And he said, you know, I really think we could do more. Are you interested in coming on full time? And so then at that point in time in 2015, I believe it was, quit my job teaching PE and moved to Spotsylvania, Virginia, and started running the Canes baseball program full time. There you go. So you dug a little bit into that roster construction there, you know, at first, you know, what led to you being general manager and what your ask were in terms of the anatomy of the Canes baseball rosters. What does that look like in terms of a roster construction on any given year? Obviously now we're at the point to where you guys have Canes national Canes American Canes scout. I don't know if there's others that you guys are in charge of because uh, there's obviously in all the different branches, uh, but you know, what does that look like in terms of the roster construction for you? Like, when does that start? When does that process get started? What kind of goes into the decision-making process? Kind of take us through, you know, how you construct a roster in any given summer. Well, obviously the way that it was back then is not the way that it is now. Um, you know, obviously as you expand, you know, you need to bring more people in that you trust to be able to help with that stuff. I'll go on two sides of it. First for your national and your American level teams, um, obviously, we try to start those teams at 14 years old. Um, we have a team trials that we did uh, that we always do in the January time frame where we have recruited some kids to come in and play, um, you know, because of their performances the previous year. But then we also bring in probably like 30 to 40 other kids that are of that level. And we try to build those teams from there. Um, then, obviously, as you go up, you retain the players that you feel like can compete at the next level. They've been successful. They fit in your system. They're good people, um, great families. You know, you so you retain them going up. Um, and obviously from there, if you have holes in it, you'll fill them through either tryouts or recruitment. Um, it's rare nowadays that we will have a national level guy that will come from a tryout unless they're an arm. Um, every now and again, we have kids that will come in and come to try out and we'll research them with our scouting directors. Uh, I've got four scouting directors that run around the country watching tournaments and showcases and stuff like that, kind of doing what I used to do back in the day. Um, Bryson Massey and, and, and Mike Phelps and Brandon Chancellor and, and Anthony Burke do an amazing job at that. Uh, they go everywhere. Um, and then obviously, you know, cause you have a very large brand, you have people that reach out to you all the time. You have advisors that reach out to you all the time. Uh, you have relationships, um, you know, with guys who sent you a player in the past, you know, that now have this new kid that's really, really good. And he that, you know, the kid you sent in the past was a draft pick. And I went to UNC and you're like, why wouldn't I trust this guy? You know, I mean, he, he helped us out, you know, way back when. Um, but you try to piece it as you go on, because the toughest part of this is you don't see these kids from the months of from the month of November to June. You don't see them. You're not, but when you're a national level team, you're not getting together and working out during the winter. You know, you're, you're rarely doing that. So you could have a kid that's really good at 14 years old that just can't hit in a 90 mile an hour fastball. 
And so you have to have a little bit of loyalty there from, from year to year, but you also have to understand that, are you putting that kid in the best situation? If you put him in a situation and consistently fail, or, you know, can you put him in a situation that's a little above a tier below and let him see the successes that he's going to have and then not railroad his, um, or I'm sorry, derail his development process. Because if he commits to an SEC school, he's got to get repetitions. You know, he's got to get better. You know, he might not be able to hit 90 at 15 years old, but he might be able to hit 95 at 17 years old. But that comes from getting consistent ABs. You know, he may not throw strikes at 15 years old, but he still needs to get on the mound and figure it out if he throws 90 miles an hour. So that, I think, is what bore our American program because we had a lot of really, really good baseball players who maybe his recruitment process started a little bit slower. Um, but then by 16 years old, you know, we would have guys that were committed to really good schools that just weren't as good as the kids that were on our national team from just our opinion at that point in time. Nothing more than our opinion, not rankings, not anything like that, just, just our opinion and how our team fit and worked. Um, so, you know, we would continue to recruit those players, mostly guys when they got to 17 years old on the American team that were committed already to a college program um, because we want that 17 year old age group to be about development, not to be about, we're going to try to find you where you want to go. We want it to be about development to get you to the college level prepared. Or if you are a guy that's a draft pick to get you exposure to the MLB draft and, and potentially getting you paid out of high school. Um, so when it comes to those levels, most of the time we start with a base at 14 years old, and then we kind of recruit and have guys that come in through tryouts and do our research on them along the way. Yeah, so at the regional level, we do do most of our roster construction through tryouts. Um, obviously, kids will come in during their freshman year, try out for our high school program. Um, you know, we will offer them a position within our program um, at that point in time. Um, and we dedicate to them for a period of about 15 months, fall of their freshman year, the summer of the next year, and the fall of the following year. Um, obviously, you know, each season is a different commitment, so kids kind of come and go, um, but we usually retain them for that first period of 15 months um, because, you know, our emphasis is on development at that point in time and because we truly do believe that any of those kids that we bring in at those levels are going to play college baseball at some level, you know, whether it's the Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, uh, NC, you know, junior college or, or NAIA, you know, that's our goal at the end of the day. And it's great, you know, to have that because you've got kids that move up through those levels at that point in time. I mean, I've had so many kids that have moved up from a regional team to an American or a national team. I mean, nothing more apparent than guys like Greg Jones, who, who never played on a national team and was drafted in the first round out of UNC Wilmington. You know, guys like, you know, that's why our regional program is so important to us here is because kids need time to develop. And just because you're not there when you're an eighth or ninth grader doesn't mean you can't get there when you're a 17, 18 year old. Um, but, you know, most of that roster construction is done through that. And now the evolution is, is I'm really blessed. I've got, I've got, you know, I think five regional directors that work under me right now. Uh, Brad Scott in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, Cody Wheeler in the North program, uh, Sammy Serrano in, um, in, in the Central program in North Carolina, Corey Welch in South Carolina, and, and Ben Connor down in the Carolinas who, you know, really take it. They, they take a real care in those kids in their development and their exposure. Um, you know, they, their dedication is to have those guys develop and go on to play college baseball. 
You know, it's, it's not just to collect kids to play baseball. It's to get them there. So they put in countless hours. They're, they're doing what, you know, I and Jeff Petty were doing when this thing was smaller, but it's become a necessity now because you need that guy through that process. So, you know, they, they put in just unbelievable efforts into these kids and with their goal of them going on to play at a school when, you know, by the time they graduate that these parents and, and players are really proud to wear their colors on their chest. So. so for the players that you do retain, you know, for all four teams, national American scout and the regional based area teams as well, you know, is there any valuation piece that comes into, you know, when it hits, you know, after the fall season hits and you're tr- just making those decisions on who's going to be on that next season's roster for national American um, in terms of that, like, are there players who let's say 15, you playing American next year, playing national vice versa, whatever. Is there an evaluation piece to that as well? And how often are players, you know, maybe jumping around from year to year or even mid year as well? Are there guys who maybe play with American one tournament national, the next, what does that kind of look like evaluation wise? So I'll start at the regional level after every season, uh, we, before every season and after every season, we try to evaluate these kids, uh, before every season, we do a scout day, uh, where we evaluate these guys. And then after every season, we try to do some sort of an evaluation through tryouts to see whether or not these kids have gotten metrically better, you know, cause a lot of times that's what the difference is. It's just physicality, throwing hard, running fast, stuff like that. It might not be as much of the baseball side of it as, as that and the speed of the game. Um, so at the regional level, we try to do that all the time. Plus, we've got really good coaches who know what they're doing. You know, so if my coach, you know, if Gary Asbill calls me and he's coaching the South, you know, 16U team, and he's got a kid and he's like, man, this kid's talking at Clemson and South Carolina and, and, and College of Charleston and, you know, uh, Charlotte and all these places. Like, this kid is probably a higher level. They're, they want that kid to move up. You know, we have the autonomy over all those rosters, so we could move them if we – if we wanted to, but they want those guys to move up. Um, But then our directors go see these kids all the time. And these are guys that are in full-time positions, basically, you know, with these programs. So their opinion is valued. We didn't get to where we got to by thinking that we had the only opinion in the room that matters. You know, we got here from trust and great relationships. So I trust these people and I've got great relationship with them because they're seeing these kids every single day. So when they get up and they bang their shoe on the desk that this kid, you know, needs, a, you know, a little bit more, I listen, you know, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. But then when it goes through the American national level, you know, our scouting directors really come into play with that. Um, myself, I try to see as many kids as I possibly can. Uh, I still travel to go see all our teams, even when I'm, you know, coaching um, during the summer, I spend probably 45 to, to 50 days out of 60 on the road during the months of June and July. Um, and then I go to all the big tournaments in the fall as well, as well as showcases and stuff like that. Not only to see players that maybe we want to recruit, but also to see our guys and see how they're doing. You've got to constantly be evaluating those kids to make sure that you can. Now, do I get to see everybody? No, but our directors do. You know, So when those four guys that are scouting directors, they're going to go see the American team play. They're going to go see the national team play. They're, part of their job is to make sure that you know, because a lot of times now they're bringing in a lot of these guys to the conversation, you know, to be on these teams. They need to make sure that these guys are producing as well, you know, because they're the ones that brought them to the table. They're the ones that are communicating with those guys' advisors. You know, they're the ones, um, you know, that have communicated with those kids' parents. And they're the ones that I talk to, you know, probably every single day, you know, during the winter, summers, and falls, um, you know, about, you know, where these kids are at. You know, what are we, 
what's their role going to be, you know? So, um, you know, there's an ongoing evaluation process because the one thing is completely true about high level baseball players, high level baseball players want feedback. So we have to be able to give them feedback constantly on what they're doing well, as well as what they're doing poorly. We have to be able to have those conversations with them because they want to get better. They don't want to come into this thing and just think that they're going to get drafted in the first round when they're 15 years old and that they've done everything that they possibly want to. So we've got to continue to evaluate our guys all the time. And that starts with our coaches. It goes on to our directors and then our recruiting coordinators. And then finally to guys like Jeff and I, who that when it comes down to maybe making a hard decision on it, you know, we'll step in and we'll make the decision for it. So. So beyond the roster construction for you as your job as general manager, you talked earlier about some of the other job description, job duties that you have in terms of, you know, maybe scheduling some of the logistics of things. You know, when it comes to, you know, the other side of your job besides roster construction, what does that look like in terms of you know, what goes into the schedule making process? What goes into maybe uniforms? I know you're probably working hand in hand with Jarrett on that, but what exactly do those other job descriptions kind of look like for you? How much time you got? Well, I, mean, I uh, so technically I had, I had a class that I was planning on going to, but it's some like advertising class. So it, I'm, I'm free the rest of the day. So, okay. So I have my hands in everything that goes on in Kane's baseball, except for what Jeff does at the 17 year old national team on a day to day basis. I will get the roster. 95% with our scouting directors ready for him. He will kind of take over from there, but I run the budget. I do all the schedules for all the teams. I oversee all the uniform process. I oversee all our youth or our 75 youth teams in our area. I am reaching out to all of our franchise directors constantly and have a relationship with every franchise that is brought in in our organization. Every youth team that was brought in under our, our teams is my responsibility. Um, fundraising, um, you know, we have a fundraising department that I'm overseeing. And on top of that, um, you know, we're part of the, you know, we're part of the Diamond Allegiance, um, which is a super group of, of six founding organizations across the country, like Power Baseball, the Indiana Bulls, uh, GBG, CBA, um, and Team Elite, as, as well as us. And then that is a growing thing. Um, I've over, helped to oversee our Under Armour and Rawlings deal that we did this past year, as well as, you know, the Louisville Slugger Wilson deal that we signed, you know, back in wherever. So there's really not anything that happens within our program on our base or level that I'm not informed or involved with at the end of the day. So when I tell you I could work 20 hours out of the day, I could. Um, having said that, I've got really, really good people that work for us. I mean, aces, top of the line, best in the business people that work for us. I couldn't do what I do without those people. So do I have to send out every contract to every regional kid? No. Do I have to make sure that every national kid ordered, you know, the things that they need to order? Do I need to make sure that we have fields, you know, for certain places? No, because we've hired guys like Jared Mustang. 
because we've hired guys like Anthony Burke, because we've hired guys like Cody Wheeler and Sammy Serrano, Corey Welch, you know, because we've hired amazing coaches who are able to do a lot of this stuff on their own. Like guys like Adam, who we just picked up our 14 year old team, you know, it's a balance of being able to oversee things so that you know what's going on at all points of time and not micromanaging people so that they can do their job and you trust them to do well, because if you give people that ability to do that, man, they're going to knock it out of the park when you have trust in them. So, and I, and I mean, I, I'd be remiss to say that like where we are now would probably not be there without the amazing franchise directors that we have involved in this uh, because the franchises all run separately and they all have a head. So when you talk about Canes, Florida, you talk about Brian Martinez and how he's killing it. When you talk about that monster out in the Midwest you're talking about Jay Hunley and what he's done. You know, when you're talking about the Southeast program and the time after time, the kids they're pushing out, that's Tyler Miggs and, and Jim down there. When you're talking about the Southwest, that's all Jonathan Paez and his team. When you're talking about the West, that's Alan Dykstra, you know, and, and his team of people. And I mean, you're talking about high level guys that are real baseball people that take a pride in their organization and a pride in the brand to make it as much of a, a powerhouse national group as they possibly can, you know, under our banner. And I mean, without that aspect of it, you know, and having guys that are the right guys in that, it would just water yourself down and dilute what you have out there. But it continues to grow every single day because these guys are the best of the best at what they do just like the guys that we have in our offices, just like the players that we have on our field, just like the coaches that coach them. And honestly, the parent groups that we have that are putting these people out there, because I mean, they're the ones that are dedicating time, money, and effort, you know, to, to what's going on. Yeah. All right. Well, from that little speech there, I've got about, you know, 10 additional questions. It just came to my mind, got them written down. First one I kind of want to dig into, obviously you talk about how, how no matter what position someone has in that organization, they're aces of it. You talk about your scouting directors, the different branches you guys have. I know Omar Hussein's you know, a big content creator for you guys. He's you know, great at his job as well. Um, but let's dig into you know, that hiring process or you know, what you guys are looking for when you guys are trying to add additions to the organization um, professional-wise in the office. But then on that second uh, an additional question to that, when you guys are adding branches, so Canes Midwest, Canes Indiana, Canes Florida, Canes Southeast, what all these different branches you guys have, what kind of goes into that as well on adding an additional branch to that Canes brand? Um, I know that's a loaded question here, two questions in one in a way, but just kind of take us through, you know, both of those a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it singularly. Um, so uh, best lesson I ever learned. Um, when you got into management, and this is my, my dad, you know, who's, who's my mentor. He's taught me everything about baseball, you know, being a businessman, being a, being a person, um, you know, that guy, I, you know, I can't say enough of, um, but best lesson I ever learned was, you know, when you're really hiring people or starting into relationships with, don't get into that relationship or that hiring based on the job that you want that person to do hire them based off of how well they're going to do their job, how hard they work and how well they're going to do their job. If you need somebody to do social media, don't hire them because they went to MIT to do social media. Hire them because you think that person is just going to continue to exceed expectations over and over and over again. 
So in order to do that, you have to build a relationship with that person. You know, it has to grow. You have to have real conversations. You have to treat them like a person rather than a transaction at the end of the day. And so with our franchises, we have partnerships with our franchises. You know, our agreement is one that is conducive for them to be able to grow their brand, you know, to be able to do things. And I don't sit there and tell them how to do it. You know, I don't tell them what players have to be on their teams. I try to see how I can help them. And I am constantly amazed at how hard they work to grow their brand. You know, when it comes to somebody that's in our office, we look at what we think they're going to do well, but not only how they think we're going to do well, but how hard they're going to work. I'm going to tell you right now, the higher up to the guys that play for us, it's not because of our baseball or that work for us. It's not because of our baseball resumes. Jeff and I both played Division II baseball in the middle of nowhere, him in North Carolina, me in West Virginia. Anthony Burke finished up at the same school that Jeff finished up at. Jarrett Mustang played a Division III school. Corey Welch played a Division II school. So none of us are walking out of the big leagues and starting an organization and, and doing it based off of our rep, you know, reputations. We're all hard workers. You tell me to go out and sell raffle tickets on the side of the highway and you need me to sell 50 of them you know, today, I'm going to try to sell 50 of them for you. You know, you tell me that I've got to go pack boxes today and you'd like me to, you know, you know, pack 50 of them of uniforms. I'm going to try to pack a hundred, you know, that day. And those are the people that you want to be around guys that are consistently exceeding expectations because they never feel like there's a ceiling for them, you know, and it's the same with players. You want those players to never feel like there's a ceiling that you stand behind them and say, you know what, you're a really good pitcher and you could pitch at this level, but I want to see you play pro ball, you know? So if you do this, 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 and this, it's going to take a team of people along the way to do it, you know, but if you really, really work hard and you're willing to work harder than everybody else in the room, you're at least going to have the avenue to break through that ceiling that's been put there. So when, when, when getting into those relationships, I personally look for people that at the end of the phone conversation that I'm with, I'm excited about talking to that person again. Like it's, it's about their passion and their drive and their commitment more than, you know, how many teams they're going to have or how many kids they have they're going to go D1 or how big their area is. It's, I think this guy's going to work really hard, you know, and be a great representation of not only his brand, but our brand too. And, and am I going to enjoy picking up the phone and talking to them every single time? So you talk about the personal side of things of when you, let's say you're hiring, adding new branches, but I kind of want to know what goes into the actual logistical process of adding a new branch. So obviously the Midwest Canes there used to be the Indiana Bandits or something like that. Outlaws. Outlaws. That's what it is. I was talking to Cooper Trinkle the other day with PBR Indiana. He said that he played for them. They became Midwest Canes, whatever. Um, when it comes to actually adding new branches for the Canes, you know, what is that logistical process to adding a new branch? Like, or, or let's say Jay Hunley, did he reach out to you? Like that, I mean, again, that's just an example I'm using because I'm from Indiana, but what does that look like when it comes to adding new branches to that Kings brand? It's really organic. Um, it's not, it's not like we went head hunting for anybody. You know, it started, um, I believe it started with Kings, Florida and Matt Beaumont that used to uh, own a prospect wire and he came and, and wanted to run a Florida branch. Um, um, at that point in time. And so we, you know, we reached an agreement, you know, for them to do certain things under our, you know, what we felt was necessary for us to allow that brand to go onto his area. Uh, and it kind of built from there. Jay was because 
he actually played. We were trying to do a Canes Midwest program because we had a recruiting coordinator from Indiana and um, Damon Alvis, and he wanted to start a Midwest branch and he wanted to oversee it and he wanted to take them out to Louisville and Vanderbilt. And he played Jay. And I would talk to Jay about once a week during those period of times because we were getting ready to play. And, you know, I just really liked, like, how Jay went about his business. You know, like, he owned his own business. He owns his own business. He's a hard worker. We got similar backgrounds to, like, we just, you know, we, we, we really liked to work really hard. We didn't, we weren't really a give, given anything in life. Um, and he cared about his kids, you know, and I think that, you know, now that I say that out loud, I mean, that's a huge part of whether or not we, we onboard these guys is do they care about their kids? Like they truly believe that their kids are the best kids, you know, do that they could do so much for these higher, these kids, you know, given this brand. Um, but it, it came organically after Jay, um, you know, I pursued Tyler just from a relationship. Like I knew, like I'd known Tyler a little bit from one of our other programs, I think it was Tyler and um, Zach Senf came in with the Southwest program. Uh, we had had a Texas program that didn't work out. Uh, Zach came in like a year afterwards. He brought Jonathan Paez. Uh, Jonathan now runs that program, um, on, you know, with, with his team. And I think Alan came in right after that. And obviously Alan has blown up the Midwest. He had Dykstra baseball uh, before that. And that was actually given to us by one of our contacts out in California who had, you know, he had said that he was wanting to, you know, he would be interested in attaching with, with us. Um, but not to get off topic, but it's really organic, you know, like you just, you sit down, you talk to the guys, you talk about their business structure, talk about what they want to do, what their vision is. And if you see it lining up with what you want and you think these are guys, these are guys that you can do your, you know, you don't have to do a, 15 point background check on like I don't want to do that you know I, I just don't I want guys that are you know care about our kids that, you know that are good people you know because everybody's always vouched for somebody um, that you could be in a room with and enjoy being around and I mean just to say it we brought all of our guys out when we were doing you know like we brought all of our guys out and we I mean, heck we even had a ton of them out at ABCA but we brought all these guys out and man I enjoy being around them like, I like being around these guys. Like, they're good people. They they just, they do a really good job. And so when you give them the power to do that stuff and then they bring in other organizations under them, you know, as their sub-franchises, you just don't question it, you know, because they're the ones that are taking care of theirs. Just like nobody questions what we do over in our office, you know, when we bring in another youth team at eight years old out of Charlottesville, Virginia. So, um, but you know, there's no, I think some people would like, you know, us to say like, here's the plan for having, you know, this many franchises in Canada and, you know, 900 teams across the United States of America. And there's not, it's just not, it's just doing what you do really, really well, usually attracts other people who are like-minded and want to do what they do really, really well. And I think we're just really, really lucky that we've attracted the right people along the way, you know, to, to be our franchise heads. And I mean, I, I just did. I am. So you, you talk about the relationships you have with guys within that Canes pro with all the different Canes branches, how you enjoy being around them. 
Uh, what are some of the relationships you guys have, you know, with other travel baseball teams that you guys are competing with across the country, across the summer? I know what you were talking about, you know, your job description. You did mention, I didn't catch the name of it, something where you are involved with the Indiana Bulls, CBA, a bunch of the power programs across the country. Um, so just take us through what those relationships are with other travel organizations and what exactly that connection was with the Bulls, CBA, and some of those other programs. I, I kind of missed what exactly you mentioned there. Yeah. So the Diamond Allegiance is something, you know, brand it's oh, it's two almost two years old now not maybe it might be in year two um, but just basically it you know there's groups of us that are going to be in this till we want to not be in this and what we really wanted to do was we wanted to create an, an allegiance where we could bring development to kids across a platform and savings to parents across a platform and so with the help of sandy og um you know and his team uh, you know, Matt Gerber, um, who was really our point of contact on all this stuff, you know, they formed the Diamond Allegiance and, and basically it provides these kids and parents with remote training, remote uh, opportunities to get discounts on travel and stuff like that. And then bring a, a large box approach, you know, to all this, you know, to, you know, teams across it. So you add teams as it goes along and those teams get, you know, the, you know, discounts on this stuff too, because, Travel baseball is expensive. It's not cheap. And, 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 you know, contrary to popular belief, Jeff Petty and I are not independent billionaires who have a private jet and fly kids across the country. Our kids pay. You know, they have to pay for their hotels. They have to fundraise. They have to do stuff. So if you can save money in an everyday environment, why wouldn't you want to help your kids with it? If it takes just a little bit of rolling your sleeves up and getting together and professionally being on the same page of trying to help our clientele. Um, so the Diamond Allegiance is that. And along the way, you got guys like Eric Backich and Tracy Smith and Pat Casey forefronting the development of players. I mean, who wouldn't want that? I mean, three of the best baseball minds in college baseball. And I know guys like Kevin O'Sullivan and Tim Corbin and all those guys are involved in it as well. But I really know like those three, I see them all the time on Zoom meetings. I see them all the time, you know, at events and stuff like that. And, and the concept of what they want to be able to do is amazing, which 10 years ago, we probably all wouldn't have been in a room together because as you're getting going, you do have rough patches in relationships, you know, and it mostly revolves around a kid played for somebody the year before and you were, you know, they either get mad and contact you or, you know, uh, you recruit them because, you know, they're at an event and they told someone they want to play for you. And and that's tough. It's the toughest part about this thing is that you have a lot of guys that you enjoy spending time with off the baseball field um, that, you know, there's going to be a player that comes out and he wants to play for you. And he's played for so and so for so many odd years. And it bothers people. Um, and 10 years ago, it was a lot worse, I think. But now. It's not as bad because kids move around as much as they do now. Um, I mean, heck, you can look at any 13-year-old top player in the country and he's playing for like four or five different teams, you know, sometimes. They're finding a weekend to play for everybody. So it's just kind of become part of the business at the end of the day. Um, but we don't really have a whole lot of enemies, if you would say enemies, or guys we don't get along with. I mean, heck, probably one of the best people that, you know, is, and I'll, I'll pull the KFAB and the curtain back a little bit, but probably, you know, the other largest organization in the country, you know, you can say is five star. And 
Andy Burst and I have a great relationship. Jeff and Andy have a great relationship. You know, like it's not something where, you know, we have a poor relationship just because we're competitive. I'd rather be around those people than people who don't care about winning, who don't care about whether their program is really good and that they're servicing their people really well. So it's natural for me to want to be in a room with Brad Boris, who runs Team Elite, you know, or Dan Held and those guys at the Indiana Bulls or Michael Garcia Para at, at GBG or um, John Pano at CBA. Wow. I mean, and, and, and Eric Lasseter and I coach with the same college baseball coach. I mean, you want to be around like-minded people. And while people on the field have to compete, I think we all are now in a stage where we understand that like, this is what we want to do. And we'd rather help each other out and our players um, by getting them on the field, playing against each other, go to the biggest tournaments in the country, play against each other, but it doesn't have to leave the parking lot. And you just don't like that guy because he beat you three to two in a game. You might not be happy that you lost, but that doesn't mean that you don't like that guy. I think the best coaches in this industry have relationships with the other best coaches. They go about it the right way. If a kid reaches out to me and he plays for Brad Boris, I'll tell you right now, if he reaches out to me and he plays for Brad Boris and he's played for him for the last couple of years, I call Brad and I tell him, hey, man, this kid reached out for me. I know he's one of your best players. Like, I want you to have the opportunity to, to, to you know, if this kid want, if there's, you know, you can make it right, make it right. It's a professional level of respect. And I think the best of the best people are doing that. I don't think everybody's doing that, but I think the best of the best are doing that. And I can say that, you know, in this community, there's a lot more of those guys than there isn't. Mm -hmm. So with those relationships that you have, what does that do they play in a role when it comes to scheduling wise each year? Are you maybe reaching out to Boris being like, hey, what tournament you guys going to talking to Dan Held? What tournament you guys going to? What exactly goes into that scheduling process throughout the summer? When exactly are you doing it? Are you reaching out to maybe some other program scene where they're going as well to get that best competition? What kind of goes into that scheduling process for the 14, 15, 16 you? And then I know talking to Jared and Anthony yesterday, that 17 you schedule is a little bit different. So just take us through, you know, what that looks like scheduling wise um, through your job. Well, I think it's, it's, it's pretty standard every year. Um, you know, we're going to go to USA baseball. We're going to go to WWBA. Um, we're going to go to, you know, either a PG elite or a, a world series. Um, and if it works in, we'll go to like the PBR national championships with our top, top teams. Um, we've, we have to have a mix of, what are the right events for our guys based off of timing and how much rest they need and competition at the end of the day, you know, then as it goes to the American, one, one of the things is you got a lot of those kids at the younger levels that are uncommitted and schools where they may commit to are going to be probably more local. And we need to get them more opportunities to play in front of those guys, you know, as opposed to running across the country. So I might choose an event where I do reach out to the South Charlotte Panthers and I say, Hey, are you going to this event? You know, or I'll reach out to, you know, uh, some of the guys that we know in that area and say, are you going to this event? Because we're going to jump in it because we want to play in front of schools for these kids. You know, and it's the same way down to the regional things. You have to really look every year at what makes sense for your guys rather than just a cookie cutter. This is a schedule every single year because it's, you know, cost effective for us. I think at the end of the year, cost effectiveness is not what we try to do. We try to have opportunities for our kids to get better and get the exposure and platform that they want. 
Um, but it's most of the tournaments that we all play in are all pretty much out there and everybody is going to go play in the ones that, that they really need to play in, you know, for their kids every year. So for an invite only tournament, like the USA baseball tournament that everyone talks about, you know, the top 16 teams in the country, you know, for you, what is that experience like? Obviously you're, you know, more man behind the scenes, but what do you think that experience is like for you? And then an experience like for all your ball players who are getting that, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity to go playing carry on that professional, on just those great facilities, play up against the other top 15 teams in the country. Um, I know this isn't about your job description, but just kind of take us through, you know, what that USA baseball tournament is like that, you know, everyone talks about and everyone wants to be a part of. So, um, I mean, that USA baseball tournament, I'll, you know, it was, it was a construct of Charles Lane, who used to be the USA, um, that, that tournament director. I mean, he had an idea of moving it from uh, Florida to North Carolina. I said, man, I'll be in uh, if you move it to North Carolina, just because I want something more elite for our guys, you know, at the end of the day. Um, so obviously we had five kids play for the USA baseball, um, 15 year old team. We had a number of them play for the 18 year old team. You know, uh, I mean, I, every time I look up kids are, you know, they're, they're playing in the red, white, and blue and I'm, I'm ecstatic for them, you know, um, you know, coming from a, a family where I was the first person not to go into the military. Um, you know, it's a big part of, you know, representing your country is a huge thing for me. Um, but the USA tournament, I think, has been earmarked now that it's been moved over here to North Carolina. It's a huge deal because at 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, you know, 14 years old, you're looking at those kids that are probably going to play on that 15-year-old team. You know, at 15 and 16 years old, you're, they're trying to get to the NDTP um, uh, uh, or NTDP. I, I get it wrong every time. Um, and then, you know, obviously at 17 years old, you know, they've got um, tournament or not, it used to be called tournament stars, but it's called the PDP league now where they're trying to make that 18 year old team. I mean, for the kids, it's amazing because they, they grow up just wanting to do that. Um, you know, for our coaches, you know, it, it's, you know, you have an opportunity to put your kids out there, get them worked out, play in a really, really competitive environment, you know, where you got a chance to win, you know, a tournament, you know, for your kids to play as much as you can and develop as you can. And it's a great environment because you're getting everybody's best because these kids, they want to make Team USA. They, they do. You know, it's not an off weekend for them. You know, you're not playing the team that you're going to beat 20 to nothing, you know, in pool play, you know, at some of these tournaments, just because you've got 18 Division One commits on your team and they've got none. Um, you know, and they, you shouldn't really be playing them. You're playing somebody's best team every single tournament. So for the kids, they're excited because they want competition for the coaches. We're excited because we want competition. Um, and then obviously, you know, USA baseball does a great job with running the event. Um, you know, they continue to, to, you know, be one of the, you know, best organizations in the country. You know, that's not to take anything away from the other guys, perfect game PBR. They man up, they, they absolutely kill it. But, um, you know, it's it's a special event, you know, just because even at the end, you know, kids get gold medals, you know, at the end. And they think, you know, they get to be with the American flag and pose with it. And it's it's just it's different, you know, playing in that stadium on the last day. So the next thing I kind of want to dig into, you know, is your guys' partnership. So, you know, let's say what was it, a month or two ago, I saw all those pictures with, you know, Noah Franco, Brandon Logan, you know, wearing those new Under Armour Canes jerseys what kind of goes into you know a partnership deal like that I know talking to Jarrett yesterday as well he said you guys just came up with a new Rawlings deal as well so kind of what goes into you know a different partnership deal with the Canes um with Under Armour and Rawlings and different uh, brands like that 
Um, you know, just, you know, things I'll say about that is obviously, you know, these brands are in sports all the time, you know, and the importance of these brands to have their brand on athletes younger and younger is important. Um, if you look at it, athletes are getting giant, you know, endorsement deals, you know, from these brands when they become professionals. Well, why not get these brands on to kids when they're younger? Um, we had a great, great run with Wilson Sporting Goods. Um, they were incredible to us. They were a huge part of uh, the evolution of our baseball program. Um, you know, when our deal, you know, came up with Wilson, you know, we, we had an opportunity to review what we wanted to do. And ultimately we decided that, you know, we were going to go with Under Armour, you know, to field our on-field apparel. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot of logistical stuff in there that I won't bore you with. Um, but, you know, when you have, a Nike or an Adidas or an Under Armour or, you know, those brands come at you wanting to, you know, something that you can pull off the shelf, you know, in, you know, any Dick Sporting Goods or Academy Sports or, you know, big box retail place, you sit down and you listen, you know, and, and from there, we've got a great, great relationship. We've got a great uniform distributor that handles all the designing and shipping and all that stuff of all our uniforms to all of our teams across the country. Um, you know, and we've got a great relationship now with these guys over at Under Armour so much that, you know, even that, you know, that, 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 you know, the, the above and beyond that they've been able to do as far as getting out on the media presence has been huge. I mean, because we're a gigantic social media monster, you know, in this business. And that was really important to us. And then from Rawlings, obviously when we left Wilson, you know, Wilson was all encompassing all in one, everything but footwear um, and, and, and caps. Um, you know, we had to look for, you know, a group to partner with for what our guys were going to use to play the game of baseball. Um, and I mean, you don't look any farther than, than Rawlings if they want to come to the table and, and have a partnership with you. Um, they, you know, they did an amazing job, you know, over there presenting us with something that, you know, obviously for our kids would be able to get discounts on apparels, uh, apparel, you know, things that were going to be on, you know, and in the hands of our kids at the national and American level at the higher age groups. And I mean, you know, one of the oldest baseball companies in the country, you know, you, you can't go wrong with Rawlings. And then obviously we've something that we haven't really overly accented yet because we're going to get ready to do that soon is uh, we also signed with G form. Um, you know, obviously everybody knows what an Evo shield guard is, but you know, G form has stormed onto the stream, you know, and I started to see it with our players, you know, they were coming back from events with G form guards on. And I was like, well, you know, this is something we got to take a look at, you know, we were the Evo Shield Canes for forever. And it was built off the fact that the kids wore elbow and leg guards, you know, and that that was the new big trend in baseball when we changed from the, you know, Canes to the Evo Shield Canes and now subsequently back to Canes baseball um, because of the purchase of Evo Shield by Wilson and them wanting to pull the moniker off of us and just have us be Canes baseball. Um, but we had to have a protective piece of it because it's such a big part of the game and i think g form is is just absolutely killing it now to where you're seeing more of them more of them on major leaguers more and more of them on college baseball players you know and then these kids go and they see them and they're readily available at almost every event that they go to so i think it was a it was a nice transition for us um and obviously you know it's very young um in the relationship but we see no reason for this not to continue on an upward trend of 
uh, an amazing partnership of quality products, um, a great look to everything that we do because kids, you know, you want to look good and you want to play good, you know, I mean, at the end of the day. Um, but then also, you know, the, you know, a continued great relationship with the people, you know, that are running these companies because you have to have one there or else, you know, you just, you're not able to service your people the way that you want to, if they're not available. So, so beyond G form, beyond Rawlings, beyond the number, when the Kings are taking the field, you know, every other game, you guys are wearing those Mets scout team uniforms. Take us through, you know, kind of what went into that deal, how that arose, you know, I believe it was what, 2020, 2021. Um, kind of what went into that deal, um, and then you know how you guys maintain that relationship on a year to year on a year to year basis to continuously be that New York Mets scout team as well. So I'm going to disclaimer this because Jeff, it was the very main focal point of that. So I'm going to give basically the roundabout of that. We were approached by Jeff is a part-time scout with the New York Mets. Um, that happened when we were on a uh, scouting trip to East Coast Pro uh, up in Syracuse, New York. He had met with Tommy Tanis and uh, a couple other higher ups and that's they made him a part-time scout with the Mets. Um, and then, you know, the evolution of teams attaching them to a major league organization was starting to take a little more flight. Um you know, you would have teams that would do it during the fall, during Jupiter, um, but then not during the summer. And so I know Jeff got approached by it, um, you know, by the higher ups in that saying, hey, what do you think about us having a Mets scout in your dugout for every game? Um, you guys will provide you with, you know, these uniforms and stuff like that um, and, and some apparel and equipment and stuff like that. And you change your name from just Kane's National to Kane's National 17-year-old uh to New York Mets scout team. And it was an easy, it was an easy call. In fact, I think the two scouts that travel with us are Joe Rakuya, who we've known for forever since he was a coach at Radford um, and Daniel Coles, who actually coached in our organization and then became the area scout for the Mets down in the Carolinas. So it was a really easy, very natural organic transition. Um, you know, obviously we didn't have to lose our identity by just calling ourselves the Mets scout team. We don't, do that with any other team in our organization other than the 17 year olds, because I don't think attaching a major league organization's name to 14 year olds is valid. Um, and neither just Jeff. So um, that's, you know, that's just basically it. I mean, the Mets do an amazing job of, of providing our guys with stuff. They get to get inside analytics on kids. And I think the most important thing out of all of it and why these programs are doing this is, you get to spend time with these kids every day, you know, see how they handle failure, like see how they work, see how they prepare, um, which is a big deal when you're sinking millions of dollars into a 17, 18 year old kid out of high school. So I, I applaud major league baseball for putting people into this position and wanting to do that. Because I think at the end of the day, you're now investing in a person as well as a player, um, as opposed to just a guy who comes out and throws a hundred but you don't know if he's going to be able to make it because he may not be able, he's, he's never been challenged in his life. And I think that's amazing. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's about the, the amount of stuff I have about that. Okay. So let's move away from, you know, we've dug down deep into all these different, you know, job descriptions you have, you know, how the teams went about different things within the, within their business. Let's move it back a little bit. Let's scale back. Look at the big picture. 
So when you joined on, there was, you know, the Canes Orange, Canes Green, a couple just different regional Canes teams. So, you know, when you became that director of recruiting, they were the Evo Shield Canes. And then now to the point where you guys have Canes National, Canes American, um, you guys have your own team bus, you know, to where you guys are one of the biggest, tr- probably probably the biggest travel baseball organization in the country. Just take us through, you know, looking at the big picture, you know, what, like, just take us through this evolution of the Canes from Evo Shield to where you guys are at now. Just take us through that through your eyes and maybe what role you have played, you know, throughout these years of, you know, just continuously evolving the Canes organization. Yeah, so going from the green and orange uh, to Evo Shield obviously gave us a little bit of a boost. Um, you know, we really focused on bringing in youth teams. You know, in North Carolina, we were able to bring in youth team in North Carolina, and then obviously in in Chesapeake, Virginia, the Virginia Beach area were the two places we focused first. You know, after that year, uh, we then started getting approached by franchises to kind of expand. So within that, Jeff and I constructed the franchise model to, um, you know, bring in these franchises of like-minded people to expand our brand a little bit. And that had to happen because we were good. You know, there was, it couldn't happen if we were an average baseball organization. It had to happen if, because we were putting more kids into school and having more guys drafted and winning more than other people, you know, and, and that's what it did. And that's what attracted people organically to want to figure out like, how do we have a, Canes team in, um, you know, Michigan, or how do we have a Canes team in Alabama? You know, like, how do we do that? So, you know, alongside that, um, you know, we signed a little little slugger deal, which obviously helped us, um, you know, because we became a, a a prime club, you know, they started with nine original prime clubs. Um, and that helped us because it brought validity to what we were doing. It put you on a different level. Um, obviously helped us to, you know, recruit and, and, and attract other baseball players that were of a higher caliber. Um, you know, we continued to expand a little bit as we could handle it um, from our regions at home. Um, Wilson then bought Evo Shield. Uh, at that point in time, uh, Wilson came in and said, look, we're going to pull all these secondary names off of people. Like people used to be called the D Marini, whatever, or they used to be called the the Louisville, whatever, or the Evo Shield, whatever um, slugger. And they said, look, we're just, we're going to bring our brands back into our brands. So we went back to Canes baseball. And right around that time, we decided that like that year, we were going to expand to an American program. And it was because our class with, I want to, I'm lighting this back. It might've been 2016 or 17. Um, might've been the 2018 class, but it's starting to run together. But it was Anthony Siegler's class who was a first rounder with the Mets. Um, you had Nick Northcutt, who's in the Red Sox organization. You had Carter Lohman, who played at Louisville, who's now throwing 100. I mean, you had – it was a group that was, you know, was special. You know, like they, you know, they were going to win a lot of ball games. They're going to have a lot of draft picks. We had Xavier Edwards who was a first-round draft pick. Joe Gray was a second-round draft pick. I mean, we had a lot of guys. But right there at our regional level, we had a lot of guys committing to college, you know, at that point in time. And so we started an American team and our goal was is that we were going to, you know, have, you know, the best of the best players play for us and given, you know, opportunity to have guys in our system um, that played right alongside them in the same stuff that they were playing in, you know, and, you know, allow them to develop. And it was funny because that year they played in the final four at uh, WWBA uh, and Jeff played Rob Younts, who was the head coach of the American team, who's actually one of my assistants right now. Uh, and one of my real good friends, um, 
and they played in the, the final four and it was so competitive between the two people didn't realize that Jeff ran the company and that Rob, you know, was one of the coaches in the company, like the kids just, that's how well it was treated. So, and it's kind of evolved from there um, to now where obviously we've got franchises in over half of the continental United States and Canada um, guys that run those things, you know, as their own businesses um, where they're their full-time jobs. Um, servicing hundreds of baseball players and hundreds of teams, uh, you know, across the country. Um, and, you know, really have brought that C on the top of your level to be one of the most recognizable logos in amateur sports. Um, I think it's, you know, no more, you know, self-satisfactory at how far we've come than you can turn on an SEC tournament game or you could turn on the Little League World Series and you see a kid with one of those hats on, you know, on TV. And it's kind of cool you know, at the end of the day, just to see that, like, that's their favorite hat and that they love that group so much because it's, it's so important to them that they're going to wear it no matter who's playing in the game that they're watching. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's, that's a real evolution of how cool and how big this has gotten to. I was working a, I was working a, pre, a PBR event here in Indiana on, on Sunday and we had, we had two kids wearing that big old, big old C on, on their hat. It was them and the, and the IB Indiana Bulls, you know, were the two, obviously, ones that everyone knows in the state. Um, and you know, if you're wearing a big C on, on your hat, you know, you're a ball player. Um, so it was kind of cool to see those guys, you know, ball out. Um, but no, so I want to dig into, you know, what you kind of do, you know, throughout the summer. Obviously, we talk about what you've done. Like in the office when you're doing the logistics side of things, you know, behind the scenes work. But when it does come time for the summer when the Canes are actually playing ball, whether that's in Cary, East Cobb, wherever it happens to be, you know, what role do you play in in the summer with all these different teams? Like what does your summer kind of look like there? So it really doesn't change. Um, I actually work from home. You know, like I live about an hour from our office. I'll go in probably about once a week. But most of my work is done through Zooms and conference calls and stuff like that. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't change. So when I go on the road in the summer, my computer goes with me and, and the work doesn't stop. Uh, what I add to my workload more than just the communication with you know college coaches and 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 the business side of it is I, I coach. Um, I got back on the field about five years ago. I had taken a little bit of a break. I used to just always coach in the fall. I taken a little bit of break to really focus on the management piece of it and making sure that that was done right. And then when we had an opportunity to to put a when we felt we needed to put a 14 and 15 year old national teams on the field uh, about five years ago back in 2017 18 um i said i want to coach 14 you I, I wanted to coach 14 you i wanted to coach 14 you because it gave them the building blocks of what they were going to be doing when they entered our program and that way we weren't trying to find kids that had grown up with baseball one way and then tried to, you know, teach them how we wanted to play within the Canes baseball program, make no mistakes about it. They were already really good baseball players, but at 14 years old, you can be a really, really good baseball player and still have a ton to learn about the game, especially on the mental aspect of it. And I've always loved the mental aspect of it with the game of baseball more than anything else, how to prepare for pitchers, you know, how to, how to, how to read guys from at bat to at bat, you know, you know, the running game, defensive stuff like the game within the game stuff. And I think that helps our guys a lot because myself and my staff, um, you know, had been there at that level for, for forever. Um, so in 2017, 18, I went down there with um, Mike Williams and, and Sammy Serrano, um, which Mike is now an agent and Sammy is now running our central program. 
And we went with the concept of let's go play in three big tournaments because, you know, everybody else is doing it. We need to have it at this level and, and we need to get our hands on some really good baseball players so that they can get out there. And we, um, and we won the WWBA in our first year. Um, and that was, you know, that was amazing, you know, to, you know, not just to, to win, but to watch the kids grow, you know, to give them the lessons that we taught them, you know, as we were practicing during the spring, instead of going to every 14 year old tournament, we could jump into, um, you know, that maybe we didn't need to be into, you know, we played in three events. We won the biggest one that there was. It jumped from there for that 2022 group with like Cole Young and Ryan Clifford and Eli Serrano and Xavier Isaac and, you know, um, Gosh, and I, I, we still had at the basis of that guys like Lamar King and A.J. Shepard who played for me, you know, when they were 14 years old, you know, and, and played on that team. And Matthew Mathias, you know, who played for me as a 13-year-old, you know, kid who, you know, was in that grade. And Roman Anthony, you know, who was only 13 years old at that time, you know, who was in that lineup. I mean, you think about, like, watching those kids. I, I watched those kids grow up. You know, from the time they were 14 years old to the time that, you know, you're, they're going off to play pro ball and, uh, you know, play, you know, division one baseball. I mean, that was really rewarding, you know, for, for me, you know, because at that point in time, they just they didn't know if they were going to be, you know, playing in a, in a college baseball program or where they were going to be playing or how good they were going to be or if they were going to win the WWBA for the next three years in a row. Um, you know, it was, it, it was great. Um, so, we, you know, during the summers, that's what I do. Um, you know, I, I, I travel around and I coach, uh, sometimes two teams, um, sometimes one team. Uh, but I try to make sure that I make myself available. You know, I will go run a kickoff meeting in the middle of Raleigh, North Carolina, as quickly as I will go and coach a team in, you know, Jupiter, you know, if, if I had to, because I think that's your responsibility is to, you know, if you're going to be there, um, you need to be there. You know, you can't just sit behind a desk and, and make the business run. The business is baseball. You need to be out there with the baseball players, you know, running it. And I may not be Bobby Cox at the end of the day or, you know, uh, Dusty Baker or any of those guys. But, man, do I have got good assistants that are around me when I coach. You know, and I think that's what any really, you know, successful coach would say is that you're just as good as the players that you have and the coaches that you put around those players and how hard they're willing to work. So, you know, for the last so many years, whether it's been Sammy Serrano or Mike Williams or Ben Connor or Thomas uh, Rogers or John Redden or, or my running buddy, Rob Younts, who has coached with me for the past five, you know, four or five years, whether it's at 14 or 15 years old, I know those guys are going to get our guys right to be able to be successful, you know, on the baseball field. So you mentioned a couple of your former players there, you know, AJ Shepard here, here at IU. I actually interviewed him about a month ago or so. Roman Anthony, who I believe is going to be part of this series as well. Um, you know, mentioned all those different guys who you know, part of that first team you coach for that 14U level. But with you being in the dugout with these guys, you know, from summer to summer, you know, what are some of those relationships you're building with some of these ball players who are part of this Canes program? Well, I think it's different. I mean, obviously when I, um, when I was doing more of the recruiting coordinator thing, it's not as personal as when you coach, when you coach kids and you're going to coach them 40, you know, 40 games out of the year. I mean, it's, it's a lot when you see them move on and you're not going to coach them anymore. You know, I just, you know, recently had to say goodbye because I've coached 14 and 15 year old, not goodbye, but it's time for you to move on to the next step to guys like Noah Franco, 
and, you know, Rhett Johnson, Coy James, D Moss, you know, like, um, God, you know, kids that I've had, you know, for years, like I had Coy James for three years. I had Rhett Johnson for three years. You know, like I saw those kids for 120 games, you know, like that's tough. That's tough to move on. You know, I think it's my favorite part of doing this because at the baser, I, I, I taught elementary school PE. So I got to see kids go from being a kindergartner to a fifth grader and watching the evolution of that kid move up and watching a kid move from 14 year old to 17 years old. It's, it's kind of like being a parent, you know, you're in there and you're guiding them and you're giving them what they need to do at this point in time to be successful because you want to build building blocks for them. They've got all the potential in the world to be this great, big, amazing elite individual. And you want to give them, you know, guidance along the way, not maybe tell them what to do, but give them guidance along the way. And then at 15, you see them get a little bit more in their themselves. So your relationship changes a little bit. And at 16, they don't play for you anymore, you know, and it's kind of like they're becoming the next in line to be the top dogs. So your relationship changes a little bit more. And at 17, they're being hounded by everybody, you know, Pro scouts, advisors, college coaches, people that want to give them NIL deals, you know, the people from their hometown that think they're going to be millionaires, you know, in, in six months, you know, and it becomes more about a level of mutual respect at that point in time, you know, to where they gave you the foundations of, of, of when you had that talk about keeping your circle small, you know, and only letting the people into your circle that you want to be in your circle 10 to 15 years from now. You know, they look back at the, and you go, you know, coach, you know, when I was 14, maybe I didn't really get it as much, you know, but now I get it. Like I get it. And so it becomes a respect thing. So when I see like Joe Adele and he comes back to Jupiter and I, you know, I, and you know, Damon Alves helped, you know, you know, was a big part of that recruiting prospect, the process for Joe, there's a level of respect. Cause that guy's a big leaguer and like, he gets it every single day. And it's like they knew when they walked out of there, like, hey, you know, you weren't lying. You know, you weren't lying about what this is. And you cared enough to share that information with me rather than just say, here's Joe Adele. He's a really good baseball player. He wears our uniform. Good for us. So that relationship piece is the absolute best part of my job. I mean, I I tell the kids all the time, I'm a better texter than you are. And I make sure that my kids know that I'm always available to them. You know, my players, um, they're not kids, um, that I'm always available to them, you know, and that if you play for me and you are 25 years old and you are stranded on the side of the road and nowhere's where Bill, wherever, as long as you played for me and you did everything that you did and you were respectful and you thanked your mom and dad for giving you these opportunities and you treated the game the right way, I'll get in my car no matter what hour of the day or night is it and I'll get down there and I'll get you out of it. And I, I really feel like, I think that relationship is not only what I enjoy the most, but I think it's why we're successful because it's not just me that does it. It's, it's everybody that's like that. So I kind of want to dig into, you know, what your game day, game day routine kind of looks like, you know, throughout that summer. I know when I talked to Jarrett, he said for that 17 U team, which he's with the most majority of the time, they do have that team bus. So that makes, you know, the, their game day routine look a little bit different than the traditional travel baseball team where players are showing up at different times, this and that. But for you, let's say for a two o'clock game, you guys are playing in East Cobb. Uh, what does that kind of get, what does that game day routine kind of look like for you? I know you guys probably don't have the bus or what, so what exactly does that routine kind of look like 
uh, when players may be showing up at different times. Just take us through what that game day routine kind of looks like. So we actually do have the bus when we're at East Cobb. Okay, yeah, um, I, 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 Jared, I forgot. Jared <laughs> did say that yesterday. Yeah, Jared's oh. got to look at his bus schedule better. Um, no, no, Jared, Jared did say that's that's my bad. I forgot that he mentioned that. But let's, I guess, you can say East Cobb with the bus, and then let's maybe say, for another tournament say, we don't have the bus. Sure. So bus, it's it's the same as what they do. We, you know, we get on a certain time. We get there probably about an hour and a half early before the game. Um, what we don't do at the 14, 15, 16 year old level um, as much. We do do it from time to time, but we don't take as much on field BP other places um, just because it's, you know, it's the availability of it. You know, it's, it comes down to that. Plus you've got, you don't have the bus all the time. So you have to have kids get in the car with their parents and their parents have to go somewhere else to take on field BP. Then you have to go give them lunch. Then get, it's not as easy. So we'll take it through like it easiest way to do it is Hoover, Alabama, when we go to 14 year old. So if we have a two o'clock game in Hoover, Alabama, um, the night before we, if we were wearing a custom uniform set, we've set all of our stuff. The kids are required to get their uniform pickup by nine o'clock that day. I'll give them an hour window to come get their stuff. It is the kid's responsibility to get their stuff. It is their responsibility to know what they're supposed to be doing. It's their responsibility to be know when they're there. They're supposed to tell their parents what they're doing, not the other way around. So I'm not writing emails all the time to their parents. We have a communication group where the kids get to know what they're, they've got to come to either the conference room where we hand it out, or they've got to come to the room where we have the stuff and come get their stuff. And if they're not at that team hotel, for whatever reason, they better find a buddy who's going to go get it. Cause I'm not handing it out in the parking lot the day of, you know, then from there, <clears throat> we do early work um, with any of our, with any of our teams that want to do early work. We'll go and do early work an hour and a half before the game. And that's when hitters will show up so that they can get, you know, extra work. So it's our kids' responsibility to get up and eat breakfast in the morning. It's their, their responsibility to have themselves something to eat before the game. And then they've got to get there for early work if they're a hitter. Pitchers will usually come in about an hour before the game if they're just a pitcher, um, which we do have POs. Um, you know, some days they get to come in and wear their shorts all day because they threw the day before. But most of the days, everybody ends up in full uniform by the time the game ends up. Um, pitchers will go out with their pitching coach, um, whether it's Thomas Rogers, um, uh, whether it's uh, Corey Welch, the 16-year-old, they'll probably start getting into their routine anywhere between an hour and 45 minutes before the game. So we have everything ready to go that day before we get in there. Like, I'm not making a lot of on-the-fly decisions about what we're doing. Uh, we keep Game Changer, you know, for all of our higher-level teams, and, and, we, and we look at it. You know, we don't promise that the kid's going to hit three hole every single inning of every game. We just don't. If you're O for the, if you're O for the tournament, you're not hitting in the three hole. Happening, um, we're going to bump you down so that we can get you some fastballs, and then maybe you can get hot before the playoffs, and you might be back there. Uh, but we come in, and then we go through a team stretch and and throwing progression. You know, when we get there, uh, that's all led by an assistant coach. They go through a team throwing and stretching progression by about halfway through the season. The kids lead it because they know the routine by then. Um, and then we'll get down into any base running, any ground ball fielding, any outfield stuff that we need to do prior to the game. I'll be honest with you, with me, I am not involved in anything other than game management planning before the game because I've got two assistants that throw BP. Um, I've got a, a pitching coach that's usually with me. I love to throw BP, but I am more thinking about how we are going to manage the game at that point in time. Um it also allows me to try to start thinking of the game within the game as far as who we're playing, 
Uh, we have usually scouted the team that we're going to play the night before and at least have seen them. And then I start thinking about how we're going to do things when I think we're going to need to get guys up and going to throw who's in relief to get started. And I'll start having conversations with kids prior to the game. So if I feel like our four hole hitter has, has lined out seven times, you know, to the shortstop and he's frustrated, I'm going to go have a conversation just with him to make sure that he's in a good space mentally. I like to do a lot of the mental prep for the game prior to the game. That's why I get there an hour and a half before I spend time with our guys. If our pitcher's there, I don't like to talk to him in the hour that he's getting ready to go and be like, hey, how are you feeling today? I like to talk to him before the game and just tell him, hey, look, this is what we're looking to get out of you here today. This is our plan for today. I like us to be able to get through all of this stuff so that, you know, we can be in a good position to either bring you back five days later or this is what we need to win. And then that's my conversation with pitchers after that. Um, after that, we'll get into the game start. And at the game, it's, you know, what we would be doing within a game, um, you know, home plate meetings, calling signals, um, you know, managing the mental side of it for these kids, you know, letting, knowing when to reel them in, knowing when to let them go. Uh, that's a big part of it. You know, the great thing about it is that I don't have to deal with parents coming to the dugout. I don't have to deal with kids talking to other kids outside the fence. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not hurting cats and I'm not, you know, um, you know, keeping the invaders out, you know, I'm focused on, on baseball. And when the game ends, we start to prep for the next day. Yeah. So I got just a couple more questions here for you. So you talk about scouting, you know, what, what kind of difficulties come with scouting for travel baseball? Cause obviously let's say you're at a tournament like East Cobb where there's 450 teams. You're not always hundred percent sure what team you'll be facing, you know, a week ahead of time or whatever. What does it kind of look like when it comes to scouting? How do you go about that whole scout scouting process the night before? Just what exactly are you looking for and how do you go about it? Since there are, you know, so many different teams that you could potentially be playing in any given tournament. Um. Well, a lot of it is really made easy because like diamond casts and stuff like that is all out there. Um, you know, as you start to get dwindled down, you can start to do the math on who you may be playing. And then a lot of times my assistants will go out and go see it, you know, more than anything else, because at the end of the day, you know, I trust those guys. Um, Rob does a lot of scouting. You know, I know at the 17 year old level, Greg Connor and Jason Mills does a lot of scouting as they get going. Obviously in pool play, it's easier. You know, we figure out when they're playing, we go watch them. You know, then we come from there. We know who the guys are that they, we need to you know, stay away from. We know who they're going to throw. And then we kind of look back to say, okay, well, this is probably one of the three arms that we're going to see. You know, we look down and say, hey, did he throw a lot of strikes? Did he not throw a lot of strikes? You know, what's his out pitch? You know, what's he striking a lot of guys out on? And we'll sit down and we'll have meetings as coaches, you know, the night before and, and talk about, okay, you know, let's see what they struggled with, what their lineup struggles with. Okay, this guy threw against that those guys in this tournament three you know weeks, weeks ago. And he was 77 to 81 from the left side and he punched 11 of them, you know, and they had one hit, you know, oh, well, maybe that's what we need to throw, you know, against these guys. So we really try to match up our kids to be in the best situation rather than just going, you throw 90, you're up next, or you throw 85, you're up next. Um, and that's, that's like that at every level. I mean, you got to remember, these are baseball coaches and a lot of them are high school baseball coaches that scout their opponents that they're going to play over and over again. So if you tell them that they can do it, or you tell them it's the difference between winning and losing, they're going to find a way to do it. 
All right, so digging into, I guess, this upcoming year, this upcoming summer with Canes Baseball, I'm sure you guys got your probably youth programs, you know, starting out here pretty soon. Um, you still got a couple months before the actual summer ball season gets rolling. But just heading into this 2023 baseball season, maybe what are some of your expectations going into it? Maybe some of the goals that you have. Just take us through, you know, what you're looking forward to for 2023. Well, I mean, um, the expectations, you know, I expect to win. You know, I expect to get our guys into college, you know, that are coming out in the uh, 2024 class, get as many as them in as possible, you know, because they're the priority as far as getting those guys to school, you know, at the level that they want to be at. I want to win. I want to compete. I want to have people that represent the brand really, really well. I want people to look up and be like, they did it the right way. You know, um, do I think I'm going to win every single tournament? No, I don't think everybody thinks that you're going to win every single tournament. Do I want to? Absolutely. Um, and I think that that always has to be your expectation every single year. I think anybody who in, who hates to lose more than they like to win, you know, wants to win as much as they possibly can. And I want to win not only because I hate to lose, but I also want to continue to develop these players, you know, and that comes for everybody at every level. You know, perfect world is you win every single event that you play in. Yeah, I, I get that that's not reality. My perfect world is, is that we continue to move on, continuing to raise the bar, not only for this industry, but also for our players, our coaches, you know, and our families that are in here, that that expectation of how your travel ball experience is exceeded every single year, not just met. So for me, I would say that my expectation is exceeding the expectation for this year and continuing to prove um, why I feel like, you know, we do it better than anybody else in the business because we're continually exceeding people's expectations. Okay. So beyond 2023, let's look into, you know, three, four, five years down the road. What is that vision you kind of have for the future, for the Canes baseball program, maybe for yourself as well? Um, just looking forward, you know, three, four, five years down the road, even beyond that, just maybe what some vision or some goals you have just leading down the road. I think everybody's goal is uh, consistency and stability. Uh, I think, you know, uh, when you're up here, if you say you want, you're at the top, you want to continue to be at the top. Um, I, there's, there's no world where I don't want to be there. Uh, I'm not going to stop working as hard as I am anytime soon. Jeff Petty's not going to start working as hard as he is anytime soon. We're not going to stop continuing to try to get the best baseball players and families that we can across the country. Our franchise guys aren't going to stop doing that. Nobody in this in this brand is going to stop doing that. So our expectation is to be at the top of this industry in four, five, six, 10, 20, 30 years. That's our expectation because we don't want to be anywhere else. Um, people have made this comparison. I actually like it. You know, you say when you're really, really good, you, you, you compare people to the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Yankees. You know, I love it. I, I want people to not you know, not enjoy, you know, me or, or, or the organization. Our kids are amazing. And there's not a person that would say otherwise. Um, but when that bus rolls in, I kind of like it. I kind of like it when people are like, man, I can't wait to try to beat the Canes. I, I do, because I know I'm going to get everybody's best. And that's going to make our guys better. I know that it's going to exceed those expectations. I know that when I'm sitting on the phone with that kid from Texas, who's got to fly across the country and he's one of the best players in the country at his position. I tell his parents, 
I'm going to put you against 90 to 95 all summer long. And then he sees 94 to 96. They're like, man, you really exceeded expectations. This was all well worth it. I want that. I want that at the end of the day. And I know Jeff wants it. And I know everybody that's in our brand wants that. So I don't expect anything to change, you know, other than maybe 20 years from now, maybe I'll play a little bit more golf, you know, but um, I, I, I expect to continue to exceed expectations year in, year out. Throughout this time with the Canes baseball program, coming back from, you know, 2009 to where we're at here in 2023, as you guys are getting ready to start this season, just looking back into it, what do you think has been, you know, maybe some of these just best memories, maybe two to three different experiences that just come to mind when you think of some stories that come with the Canes baseball program and yourself, what would a couple of those stories be and just some of those best experiences you've had, you know, these past 13, 14 years with Jeff Petty and the Canes baseball organization? Oh, I think, you know, best memories, I'd probably pick three of them. I think there's three of them that are my best memories. Um, you know, obviously, way, way back, um, you know, we won Jupiter back-to-back -back years. And I was really connected to that group uh, that had you know, Danny Blair, LT Tolbert, Cody Morris, uh, Logan Harvey, Zeke Pinkham. Like that was really my first full-on run. J.B. Bukowskis, all those guys. Uh, although J.B. had, you know, graduated early, he wasn't a part of that group. Bo Burrows, all those guys. I was really connected to those guys because I, I got them in at like 15 years old. And they went back to back and won Jupiter. And I actually had an opportunity to have my son, my oldest son at the game. Um, and you know, to be able to take him down on the field, he had been to, I think the Met ball classic that year. And, you know, that was just a huge, like, you know, kind of, he had been the year, I think the next year he was with me when I coached in Jupiter, that was one of my best memories um, was just, you know, being able to put, you know, I'm the oldest of three boys, my oldest son on the field with me in a championship moment. He's, you know, looking at all these guys that he doesn't know who they are. Um, but that was, that was a really proud moment, you know, for me, cause I watched those guys come from the, like, being 15 years old, all the way up to 18 years old uh, and still have relationships with a lot of those guys to this day. Uh, I mean, LT works over at pro five Virginia for us now. It's, it's amazing. Um, so that was really, really cool. Um, and then, you know, the 14-year-old national championship was my first national championship as a head coach. Um, I had been to several before and lost, um, but that was the first time, you know, breaking through, you know, that barrier, you know, with guys like A.J. Shepard and Lamar King and Roman Anthony and uh, Danny Corona and Cole Messina, um, Matthew Mathias and, you know, Eli Serrano and, and all those guys, I mean, that was great because it was, it was genuinely, you know, one of the most fun I had ever had coaching too, you know, was at that age group. And, uh, you know, that was, that was just special because we played three games the day before, got rained, had to sit in the car, got done and back in bed at three o'clock, had to turn around and play a nine o'clock game the next morning. So that was just, that was really special. And, and to be honest with you, it made it more special because the national team was starting that next day the 17-year-olds um, with Patrick Alvarez and Corbin Carroll and 
uh, Chris Newell and, and, and all those guys that played on that team that won Jupiter the year before. And I, and they, they canceled practice to come watch us play. And I was, you know, that was just really special. And then I'd have to say probably the, you know, the third one, and I, I hate to say this all, you know, when you, when you win stuff, but I mean, you do remember your wins more than your losses would be this last year at 15 years old. You know, I, I'd been doing 14 year old for a, um, a long time. Um, I decided I was going to be a crazy person and coach both 14 and 15 years old, uh, spread a little bit thin. Um, but to watch, you know, some of these guys who had not had come so close at WWBA, you know, the year before and just missed out, um, you know, to get to see guys like Rhett and Noah and Coy and Dean, um, you know, the Peter Mershons and, the uh, the David Shields of the worlds, you know, and, and guys like that, that had played with us that year before, um, you know, Blake Illich and, and, and Carter Smith and all those guys that have been through it, you know, since day one with me and then get to see them do that, knowing that that was probably going to be the last time that I had all of them together, you know, before they were going on to bigger and better things, we we're going to play other tournaments, but you know, they, that was, that was special. That was special for that. Um, and then, you know, maybe the last one is, is, you know, watching, you know, some guys get drafted, you know, like, I don't think you really realize I got to go to the MLB draft the year Xavier Edwards got drafted. He, he invited Jeff and I to the MLB draft and we had four guys taken in the first round that year. And just to see how excited their families are and just the compilation of all this work that they've done, I guess it's kind of, it's, I guess it's kind of, you know, in character, maybe, you know, for guys like Jeff and me that like, that was amazing for us. Like just to know that we'd had a small impact on this person's journey and that there was enough in their minds to invite us to come to the MLB draft at the biggest moment of their amateur careers. Like that was just amazing. Like I, I did I really do anything that big for Xavier Edwards career? No, but the amount of respect that his family had for Jeff and I to invite us to there and Jeff's been more than I have. And, and we've been invited to others, but gosh, that's special. It really is. It goes back to the whole reason that we like this so much is, is the relationships that you build out of this. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have guys that are going to become fathers. You're going to have guys that are going to become, you know, lawyers and, and senators and doctors and, you know, big leaguers and, and that relationship still at the end of the day from that kid that, that, you know, suited up in your uniform sometimes at 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, still is the driving factor behind this organization. I can say that, you know, very comfortably that that's the one, you know, huge thing that just makes every moment that you have, that's a big moment that much more special. So as you talk about driving factor, that actually kind of leads into my last question here on the JKR podcast, and that digs into motivation. Obviously, when you started with the Canes, you know, you, you talk about how, um, what was, what's the word? Um, you talk about how, you know, money wasn't a big, big motivation for you. And it came to town to, you know, go and building this program, building these relationships, this and that. What are, you know, some of those motivations that just continuously help you, you know, just keep working with the Canes and you, you, I mean, you kind of dug into it there already, but just dig a little bit deeper in terms of motivations on at the beginning and then towards, you know, now as your career is continuously evolved to, you know, 
keep working with these kids, keep growing the Canes brand. Just what are, you know, those dick, like internal motivations that you have just to continuously evolve as a person and evolve the Canes brand as well. Well, I think that's easy. I think anybody that's, you know, people say this all the time, you know, like, oh, baseball is not who you are. It's what you do. You know, I'm a ball player, you know, just a ball player. You know, guys that really love the game, they're always ball players, never walk away from it. Um, even when you become coaches and the thing that you learn when you play any sport and you want to play it at a high level, whether it's division one, division two, II, division three, JUCO, you know, you learn how to work hard. You learn how to sacrifice. You know, you just do. Um, so I don't look at it as my motivation is stuff and things. My motivation just comes from I'm going to continue to work hard because my kids continue to work hard every single day. So when I wake up in the morning and I decide whether or not I want to work hard or not, you know, it's not a conversation of whether I want to work hard or not. It's because I know that at 6 a.m. somewhere, one of our players who wants to play at the university of whatever got up and he went lifting that day. So I've got to get up and I've got to go to work. Because that kid's working really, really hard to achieve his goal. So why is I, a guy who runs on a day-to-day basis, one of the top travel baseball organizations in the country, if not the top, if not the largest, why do I get to not work hard at what I do? So my motivation every single day is the kids that are playing for us. If I can't match the effort that they're putting in to try to get as good as they possibly can, if I can't match the time and the sacrifice that their parents are putting in, not to mention the money that the parents put into their development, then what am I really doing at the end of the day? This isn't just a plug and play service transaction business where I'm selling a product, you're buying it, you're taking it home, it either works or it doesn't. This is an involvement of a people-to-people business, you know, that is revolved around relationships, that's revolved around communication, and that's revolved around opportunities. So for me, there is no conversation about whether or not I'm going to get up and work hard every day. The day that I'll stop working hard is the day that we stop having players that want to play the big game of baseball at the highest potential level. The day that I stop working hard is the day that I have to get out. So until that day, I'm going to get every, up every single day. I'm going to drink my coffee. I'm going to take my kids to school until they don't need me anymore. And I'm going to work as hard as humanly possible to make sure that this brand that's on the front of our jerseys can take care of the name that's on the back of it. All right, there we go. Great way to end the JKR podcast. You know, super thankful for you coming on the show. Obviously, I'm I'm pumped to get you on the show, you know, dig into, you know, your job, but, you know, dig into the Canes brand as well for this next six weeks when it comes to interviewing you, Coach Burt, Coach Mustaine, hopefully Coach Betty. You know, we haven't scheduled an interview yet, but I'm hoping to get him on as well. Um, some former some former Canes as well who are playing pro ball, playing collegiately as well, and some high school guys that, who are playing with you guys currently. I'm just super pumped to get this rolling. You know, I'm super thankful for all of you guys for coming on the show. 
Um, like I said, thankful for you coming on the show. And, you know, when it comes to you, you guys starting the 2023 season here pretty soon, you know, best of luck when it comes to the Canes youth. But then again, when you guys start the 14, 15 new seasons and then for just the summer ball as well, best of luck with that. And obviously you guys are the number one, the number one travel baseball program here in the country. So you know, I'll continuously be following you guys. Hopefully when I, you know, officially start my career as an agent, be maybe be texting you in terms of maybe some players that I'll be recruiting or stuff like that. Hopefully keep this relationship good among you know myself and the Canes brand you Jarrett Jeff all you different uh, guys within, within the Canes but like I said just super thankful for this opportunity to highlight you guys just just dig deeper into the brand and how you guys have built it um so again like I said just I, I words can't express how thankful I am for you know you guys coming on and, you know you give me three hours of your time shoot I mean this might be the first time where I'm on the cuffs of that three hour mark with with an interview so uh just again just thanks for coming on the show Hey, no problem. Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks for, again, uh, you know, it, it's it's great to see you guys highlighting, you know, all the people that are in here, because at the end of the day, you know, you know, it takes a, a whole bunch of really amazing elite people to make this business run and to make these teams as good as they are. And this, you know, this brand as great as it is. So I appreciate you taking the time to to not only spend with me here today, but also those people that are integral to our organization you know, and it's, and it's growth and development of it.